Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, hello again and welcome to another episode of the Sacred Icon Halo Show, where we talk all things Halo. Why? Because we love it, duh. <laughs> We're back with episode 42. I'm your co-host, Jovial Joshua Hargis. Joining with me as always is Brian Arvett, but today we have some special, special four-player co-op action as we are joined with Taraz of Late Night Gaming. Taraz, welcome to the show. Do do we like Halo? <laughs> we do. Sometimes I feel like we, nobody no. hates Halo as much as Halo fans. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And also joining us as well again is Haruspis. Haruspis, welcome. Hello there. General Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh first impressions, guys. What do you think if you just had to if you had to describe your thoughts on Halo Infinite in one word, what would it be? Uh Taras, you go first. Confusing. <laughs> okay mostly just the showing the the concepts that were shown off i'm actually interested in the mm-hmm. demo was just weirdly paced i yeah, love I it late, you asked late night game for one word three cents you get yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah, yeah. i love it i love uh, what it what about one, you alex one word jesus well not jesus, <laughs> that's, jesus. That's not the, <laughs> the game is jesus the messiah actually you know what i will go with that because it is taking things in a lot of directions that i wanted it to go so uh, coming out of that sort of downer sort of period after halo 5 mm. co- contrasting emotionally let's go with jesus all right all right now i before i know josh you kind of had some, some ideas of things you wanted to ask but mm-hmm. right off the bat i'm, I'm thinking now, I want to hear your guys' opinion on this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but with how poorly Halo 5 was received and, and, and how much people wanted the direction to change, I kind of thought just seeing Halo Infinite and what they've shown would make people really excited because it is so much closer to what people were asking for. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. <laughs> uh, very much so. I mean, yeah. you know, personally for me, from what I've already written and sort of looked at, this feels a lot closer to the Halo 4 sequel we were promised uh, in, you know, that whole period. That's just the vibe I've really gotten. So in a lot of the stuff that I've been you know, talking about, writing about, like, well, here are these parallels and here's how it's drawing inspiration from, you know, this particular story beat or how it seems to be doing so. So it's on the right path for me like that. Yeah, what about you, Taraz? 
Yeah, I kind I kind of agree. Um, it, it was a pretty dark time after Halo 5's story ended. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Uh, I didn't think I could be genuinely excited about another Halo story, but so far everything we're hearing about Infinite, at least I'm like, yeah, I want to explore that universe. <laughs> yeah. I really missed Halo. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. You kind of like that too, Brian. Yeah, I, I think every I think every uh, long term Halo fan will describe the 2015 to 2020 as the dark times, yeah. um, because it was just it was just so rough. And I've talked about it in the podcast before, uh, wrote about it a little bit. But basically, I was kind of sounded like I was kind of probably all in the same camp. But I kind of relate more to, to Ross um, that when I played Halo Five. And I was a huge, as as Alex knows, I was a huge fan of Halo 4. Josh wasn't so big on Halo 4 when it came out. I was someone who kind of helped open his mind up to Halo 4. And um, so when we were on our way to Halo 5, there were so many people saying, oh, this this has to be better than Halo 4. Halo 4 was terrible. This this It wouldn't take much. It's going to be better. And, I, and for me, someone who loved Halo 4, I'm like, you know, Halo 4 was great, but I do know there's a lot of people in the fan base that don't like it. So there's probably a good chance that five will be better received. And then five comes out and it was this mixture of like you had the Bungie purists who were already upset with Halo. And then you had people like me and Alex. And I think you liked Halo 4, right, Taras? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You had people like us who were like, no, we liked Bungie Halo and we liked Halo 4. So we're really confident in Halo 5. And we kind of told all of our friends and, you know, we, uh, Alex wrote his articles and Taras made videos and, you know, like, this is good. This is still good. 343 is doing a great job. And then Halo 5 comes out and you kind of feel like you're caught with your pants down almost because you're like, <laughs> you're like, I just, I brought everyone around to this. You know, I, I, can, I turned people's heads on Halo 4. I, I, I showed that uh, I had so much confidence in this. And then Halo 5 comes out and the story was just really, really weak, you know? So, yeah. I remember, yeah. like, when the credits started rolling in that game, it was kind of like, I felt like someone had pulled a prank on me, if that makes any sense. <laughs> now the real game begins. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, I don't, I, it was just weird, because, like, I was genuinely excited to play Halo 5. I was so ready, and it was around Mission 7, I think. When Cortana came back and that big reveal was through like a radio transmission. Yeah. yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah. something's not right. Hello? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turn I mean, your walkie talkie to channel seven. I'm here. <laughs> I remember yeah. it feeling weird for me because it was like the first mission where you're jumping in is Osiris. And I was like, I don't even know these guys. Like, I haven't really, like, I, I know the little bit of extra stuff we'd gotten, like, teased in the marketing stuff and Nightfall and whatnot, but like, I didn't really quite. Felt like I knew the other ones, and, and I wanted to, but I was someone who hadn't read the some of the expanded lore and stuff. See, like it that. was this weird mix of it's a really bold decision, obviously, to introduce a new protagonist. That uh, you know, the way they marketed it was going up against Chief, really playing on the sort of Captain America Civil War and Batman versus Superman stuff that was going on at the God, time. God, that's I think right. That was a yeah. mistake, but uh, <laughs> that that was that weird year where everything was characters hate each other. Yeah, that's right true. down that's to the that's box art, right? All the all the sort of key art images where it's like the two characters facing off against each other. Yeah. Um, Bion- Bionicle did it first, but uh, moving on. <laughs> it was a trend. I'm glad you put it that way. I never really thought of that. It was going on everywhere. But you've got that, and then it goes in like... It's it's weird to say that Halo 5 has a safe story because it's obviously really like 
not enjoyed by a lot of people but the safe direction of oh Cortana's actually alive and now she's a villain and you know the, all of the ways it goes to that it, it's just weird is how you, is how I characterize it. It, it it's hard to pin down to just any one thing because it's this mess of contradictions yeah and it's it's kind of like also that weird i honestly don't know what was up with like the cutscene direction my personal theory is that the reason the cutscenes are also brief and like weirdly scripted is because they had the assumption that you'd have four people yelling at each other in a party on xbox live and so they didn't want to bore them. So, like, all the cutscenes didn't give the player enough information. Like, That's nobody true. talked to each other. They were just talking about the Yeah, plot. I was just going to say that. You're not always the only one out. here because of him. Fate to yeah. Black. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, you know, the whole time I played Halo 5, because like, I was one of those, I like to say I'm one of those people that are optimistic. So when I was playing Halo 5, you know, first mission, second mission, third mission, I'm going, okay, I kind of like this. You know, it's good. Not perfect, but it's good. And then, um, you know, it was getting, I think I was around the second to last mission, which is the last mission you play as chief. And I'm going, mm. you know, this isn't really hitting for me. I, I You know, if, if they just land it at the end, I, I think I can get by. And then the ending was just the worst part for me because Cortana showing up and being like, you know, oh, I'm going to protect you and put you in a cryptum and everything. And, and I've talked about it extensively before, <laughs> but it put you in a giant circle. Yeah, put you, I, I, this whole time I led you here to this, you know, and then also it's like locks all like, you know. We're going after her, Chief. I'm gonna I'm gonna punch you in the face, but then at the end he's like, We're here for you, sir. <laughs> you know, so it was it's one of the <laughs> I mean, right? Uh, so then it's one of those deals. Sarah <laughs> is laughing so hard he's got coronavirus again. <laughs> oh um, my god, that took me by there's always but a then, moment where you know you've broken him. Yeah. So then, oh so then I've, I've talked about it extensively over the years. It's like, you know, I'm so optimistic on those things. It's like I could have accepted Halo 5, like five, but there was just one too many things that were, were bad for me. Like if, if the only thing bad in the whole game was Cortana being evil, I could maybe get by it. But I thought the revive system was, was really bad. I thought uh, playing as Chief for only three missions was bad. I thought... The Warden Eternal was bad in general. I thought fighting him five, six, seven times was even worse. So it was just like all of these things kept compounding to just make an overall, you know, experience that was just less than average. It's a shame as well because, you know, they got Tim Longo, who was creative director for Republic Commando, those games. Right. And the squad commands and that was a really great idea that they just couldn't commit to because they're caught in this middle ground of, well, this isn't traditional Halo gameplay. And how confident are we in expanding beyond that when people were telling us on Halo 4, where we actually toned down a lot of stuff to be more sort of traditional Halo, they're saying, well, this is too far in the other direction. So I understand that 343 was in a really difficult position in terms of what they commit to, but I think the result is that it didn't really please anybody. Do you, think, yeah. do you guys think, you know, like, the narrative for in regards to Locke might have changed a bit had there been maybe more balance with Chief and stuff like that in the game. Like, I'm always curious because I feel like there's so much hatred about toward Locke and just such a dislike mm. toward him. Do you think, do you think had there been a bit more of a balance that people would have maybe liked him more? I think uh, those three missions with Chief, give them to Locke. Make him the star of the whole campaign. Agreed. Give us more time. I, mean, I agree. 
Yeah. I think you open up a lot more doors for people to be more interested if you don't answer every question by the end of the second mission in the story. And by playing as chief, you just completely rid the story of any of the questions it raises. And as a, as a result, it's like, well, I'm not going to be surprised by anything. Uh, not really a reason to be engaged. Yeah. Yeah, I think I told Josh before, I'm like, if the game was just called Halo Guardians and it was a spinoff where you play as Locke the whole time, immediately I think you win over a lot more people. Mm. Yeah. You know? And you just <clears throat> continued on with a proper Halo 5 that was just Chief-focused. Yeah, if it's um, like Chief goes AWOL for no reason, nobody quite knows what's going on, and you're constantly behind him at all times, and it's like, what are these Guardians? Why are they being resurrected? What does Chief have to do with this? Yeah, the fact that they, like, the second mission, like, oh, got it, it's Cortana. <laughs> like, if that was an ever-present mystery and you as Locke are trying to piece it all together and how the Chief is connected to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, Chief has the domain vision. He sees Cortana. Okay, next mission, uh, well, not next mission, but just a little while later, we meet the Warden Eternal. He says he serves Cortana. Okay, we get to Genesis. We hear Cortana. And then it just, it follows, it just plays it straight completely. There's no room for surprising the player with something that's kind of you know out of left field like in halo 4 where they introduced the composer where nobody had guessed that that would be a thing when they read primordium which you know heavily featured the composer and it, it was just one of this oh oh they're going in this direction and you know it just it changes sort of how uh, how you see that campaign in the direction it moves from there as, I, as it explores the prometheans but the Prometheans hardly factor into Halo 5 at all. In fact, you could remove them entirely from the story and you would have very minimal changes. Yeah. I was, you might have touched on this before in one of your articles, Alex, but I wonder, do you, do you think the... Because do you agree with me in the fact that there was a, a good, very loud uh, chunk of people during Halo 4's release that just didn't like the game, right? We're in agreement on that? Yes. Um, so do you think that the distaste for Halo 4 made them make a lot of changes to what became Halo 5? I think so, yeah. I think it's reasonable to say that they, the 343 maybe pivoted it a bit too hard towards some of those criticisms, and understandably so, because, you know, they want to make the best game to, yeah. to please people, because it, it's not just a sort of uh, auteur-creative endeavour where it's the singular vision that gets sort of made. It's a huge AAA studio that's ultimately selling a product for... Uh, as a flagship for the console. And that's really important. It was the first Halo game to come out on um, Xbox One, um, you know, not discounting the Master Chief collection because that was obviously just a collection for the games coming up to the next generation. But this was going to be the big leap forward. And so there's a lot behind closed doors that we obviously don't know about that they they absolutely had to juggle there. Yeah. Um, so I got a question I have for you guys. I'll start with, I'll start with Taras here is, what you know you you meant you just mentioned that you're like yeah i didn't know i could be excited for a a halo game after halo 5 Um, based on what we've seen from trailers and and the gameplay demo and and what we last did in halo 5 what do you how do you want to see them take the story forward like when we actually you actually sit down and you play halo infinite how much time do you want them to spend uh, wrapping up what happened in 5, ignoring it, starting a new story? What do you want? And then I'll move over to Alex after you. 
Um, I'm really happy that it seems like they are using the banished as kind of like a narrative monkey wrench, if that makes any sense. Like, <laughs> we've got this time. like dumb robot overlord story going on that people didn't really care about. And it's like, that would probably be the best choice to just kind of like out of nowhere, surprising everybody, including Cortana, suddenly the banished are there. And it's like, oh, no, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really happy to see the Banish there. I love those guys. <laughs> They're so fun. Um, and I also like uh, the point that Alex brought up, that it's like, okay, we got Halo 4. We've got our story of deconstructing the guy inside of the armor. Uh, it's very thematically fitting that the end of that campaign is Chief being stripped down from his armor and kind of exposed. And then one of the first uh, trailers for Halo Infinite, um, or at least the live action e trailers is uh, the suit being assembled. And so it's like now it's a story of what it means to wear the armor to be the hero. I love it. Yeah, me too. Step inside. That was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what about, what do you have to say about that, uh, Alex? Yeah. So um, the way I see it is that um, we're just jumping ahead to the natural end of this, of the story that was set up. We're not seeing the steps in between because they're not really important, to be honest. We are moving ahead to the aftermath where we get to look back and sort of, you know, we've arrived one moment after is the, is the term that the Dan Chosich used in um, the 2018 sort of like how he talked about Halo Infinite, their approach to it. And we are discovering what has happened in the past, which informs the present and then pushes stories forward for the future of Halo, the next 10 years. I think that's a much more interesting way to get people engaged in it. In this, in, you know, you arrive this moment after, after this cataclysmic battle. Uh, you know, it's this very small, funneled-down story of just the chief and the pilot in this, uh, you know, backs-against-the-wall situation against the banished, who, you know, a lot of people loved from Halo Wars 2. And they are here with you the player to figure out what has happened you know what is this story everyone's on the same page i've read you know every bit of halo material there is out there and i know about as much as somebody who's read none of it in terms of what's going you know going to happen in infinite i think it's good that uh three four three has everybody on that same page as a starting point and then we build from there i think it's absolutely the right decision yeah, it's got to be a hard line to walk, too, because uh, I feel like so much that they've talked about so far has been about trying to strike a balance of accessibility, but also, like, rewarding people who have stuck Definitely. around as long as they have. And I feel like, personally, I mean, as far as we're at right now, I mean, I feel like they've done a pretty good job with that, but it kind of it's definitely intriguing. I mean, I, I will kind of segue this into a question I have for you guys. Like, the elephant in the room is, like, the past week there's been this, like, landslide of discourse in the community about the graphics mm. and, and just the game in general. And I know I reached out to you, Alex, and, and was kind of wanting to pick your brain about it. Cause it's just, I've seen this in star Wars before, like with stuff like the last Jedi, where it was just like, some people either really loved it. Some people either really hated it and it just got really muddy very quickly. And then what are you guys uh, thoughts on that? I mean, how do you guys feel about the visuals and stuff like that yourselves? But also, I mean, how do you, What's your perception of all this kind of like? How will it affect the frame? Yeah, to add yeah. to that, to add to your question, Josh, I, you know, your guys' personal opinions on the whole graphic situation, and then also, how do you think the the, the discourse about the graphics affects Halo as a product to everyone outside of the Halo fan base? 
Taras, you want to jump in on that first? Yeah, I guess. Um, <clears throat> okay, so it's a bitter pill to swallow at first. I think it's mostly just shock more than anything, but it's kind of like most video games. At first, you're kind of like, whoa, those graphics, something's not right there. But then you get over that and you start engaging with the game as it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember a lot of people, uh, so like Halo 2 was kind of infamous for its graphical downgrade prior to launch. I mean, an entire system for shadows was just (laughs) cut from the game. (laughs) And it just ends up looking like flat compared to what they showed at E3. And back then, uh, if you use kind of like, what's it called? The Wayback Machine for the internet. And you can kind of go to Bungie's forums. And Mm. there is, there's a lot of like weirdly familiar arguments happening there. Yeah. And everything that is being said today was, was the the rage, you know, all the years ago. And it, yeah, basically, so I guess I'm I'm on the side of the fence where I'm like, yeah, I don't think the game looks very pretty. I I don't think that engine can accomplish the ambitions that they set out to do, but when I get over that, I'm more excited about what the game is. Like, okay, got it. The game doesn't exactly look as good as its contemporaries. All right, what is it, though? Yeah, I definitely get that. Good point. What about you, Alex? Yeah, see, for me, I think of like the sort of the bigger picture three four three is going going for here, right? You've got um, this more open world kind of campaign. Uh, maybe open world isn't the right term for it. You know, they've, they've said it's a more open sort of like massive scale. Yeah, they've campaign. been tactically avoiding using that term. Yeah, <laughs> for for good reason, hopefully. And um, you know, within that, they want to do split screen because obviously they removed split screen from Halo 5 to meet those uh, 60 frames per second that, uh, you know, that was really sort of what everyone was gunning for back then. Uh, those sacrifices were made. Not a lot of people were happy with it. People want to play Halo on their couch with their kids, uh, you know, with their friends when they come over. Not that a lot of people are going to people's houses right now. Um, they've got, uh, you know, they, they're aiming for 4K as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also want this across every um, Xbox, sort of the family of devices that are available from your base, Xbox One, all the way up to Series X. This is a very broad sort of range of accessibility that they want for fans to come in and, you know, either experience Halo for the first time or no matter what their situation is, be able to play it. And there's going to be sacrifices there. And if that means that it's not going to have the most cutting edge graphics, which I don't think Halo has ever really had, and they go with this more stylized vision, for me personally, I'm fine with that. I know so long as the game feels good to play, the gameplay is that top notch, you know, next step for uh, the evolution of Halo's combat. I'm all good with that. I understand the reservations people have. And um, I do agree that, you know, some of the texture work looks a bit off. But of course, there is the broader context of, oh, maybe this is an old build of a demo that was meant to be shown earlier, which I believe Alana Pierce confirmed uh, during one of her own videos. Uh, so there's just a lot of context there, which we don't have the full picture for. And I'm, I'm caught between, I understand that, you know, this is what 343 has shown and people are naturally going to be analyzing it and picking it apart. But at the same time, there's this broader kind of context to keep in mind where it's like, you know, we're still four months away from release. We've seen other games like Gears 4 and 5 and the other ones which didn't look quite as good when they were shown even weeks before 
they launched. So it, it's hard to say, really. And uh, keeping in mind also that like those E3 builds and stuff that they usually show off to the public, those aren't actually in the game like the developers don't bring all 70 gigabytes of their video <laughs> game to e3 to show yeah. up they're usually right. developed in a bubble outside of the main branch of the game they polish so, that one bit that they're going to show yeah so those demos they're they're throwaway ultimately it kind of sucks that like those demos that they show at e3 they're made to show once and then they never revisit them again. They lock them in their like developer studio vault. And what a rubbish situation to be in as well, where a lot of the time you'll get demos, which look so much better than the final product. And everybody says, oh, look at that puddle in Spider-Man. It looks horrible. And then now we've got the situation where the graphics look, you know, less than uh, what people were thinking about. And we're potentially looking at, you know, what's going to be better when the game releases. So it's a lose-lose situation, whichever way you swing it. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask ask you guys, too, like, on that, like, do you guys think it's just, uh, in terms of the the graphics, do you think it really comes down to just a matter of, like, subjective expectations? Like, you know, with this being a Series X thing, like, if this if this was just coming out on Xbox One, you know, do you think the, the same issues you know would be there for people do you think it's just a matter of them having just high expectations because i mean i was kind of the same like when i watched it with brian i was like i was so floored and then it was afterward i'm re-watching it a little bit more and i'm like okay i can see how some of the graphics look a little bit flat but like i'm still excited like once kind of like you taraz like once i kind of got past that i was like I'm really excited for this game. Yeah, once once you get past kind of like the low draw distance or you see like clouds popping in and the distance and stuff, mm -hmm. and then you think, all right, they're probably going to polish all this stuff up. Look at how much space is off in the mm. distance. Like when yeah. Chief's going up the elevator, that's not a skybox. Like some games will have that as, like I can go over can there. Go that's yeah. a weirdly large <laughs> amount of space. Yeah. Well, am I, am I correct in saying uh, it, it seems to me like whether it was in Intentional or not, it seemed like the whole uh, gaming industry was kind of propping up Halo Infinite as being our first look at a next-gen game uh, graphically. It seemed like that was a conversation that was happening. Did you guys see that? Or is that just kind of in my own head? I mean, I feel like that was the thing that was kind of promoted, I guess. It's just, I think it's kind of like you, Alex, like you said, too. Like, it's kind of got, you have to take into account, like, the more broader aspect of what they're trying to do here. And, and, and I think... I'm just saying, I think consumers, it seemed like consumers were... were propping up the idea that Halo Infinite was going to be this graphical showcase for a couple reasons. One, because the trailer from last year looked so good, and then two, mm. because it was associated with the Series X, which has been constantly touted as the most powerful console. So I think people just kind of built this idea up in their head yeah. that it was going to be uh, so cutting edge. Most powerful console uh, kind of irritates me because people think, well, graphics, graphics, right. most That's powerful. That means most powerful graphics where it's like, yeah, games aren't all graphics. Like, in fact, uh, the last generation, kind of what disappointed me about the Xbox One and the PS4 was they weren't doing next gen stuff with the power that they had. A lot of those games were just 360 games that looked really pretty. Yep. But stuff I could see run. I mean, Doom 2016, that literally is running on a Switch. It could yeah. have been done on the 360. So it's cool that Halo Infinite, the power seems to be being used to actually do something next gen. Like these really ridiculously large placed. Spaces running at 60 frames per second. Yeah. 
What do you guys, what do you guys think about this Craig meme that's been like all over? Like, there's there's a part of me, there's a huge part of me that's like, this is absolutely hilarious, and then there's the other part of me that's like, I feel kind of bad laughing at this because it's like such a jab. It's one of those things that three four three, like they knew when they put this out, there was going to be things they couldn't account for. And that's one of those things that, that, that we know one of those things. It's just yeah. funny because it's like you have like people like all of us who will want to dissect like every bit, like frame by frame, you know, and go in there. But then like the one thing that really gets pulled out of this, that's like the most popular thing that gets <laughs> mean to death is literally just a frame of a brute dying. I, I like, think it's absolutely delightful. And you, you see the way <laughs> you see the way that 343 has embraced it, really. Yeah, I absolutely believe they're going to put something in the game referencing it. There, there yeah, is no greater stamp great. of approval than the Bob Ross of Halo saying that he thinks the Craig meme is delightful. I know, I love that. Yeah, go, go to go to Google, look up just Craig, and it's the first thing on Google on Google Images. What's yeah, it feel like to be named Craig right now? Right. <laughs> I saw even Green School did a song about him, which was fantastic. I oh, thought, brilliant. like. So yeah, it was hilarious. Um, Good old Craig, and yeah. like some of that stuff. All I mean, three four three probably didn't expect people to strategically pause at just the right moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but st- yeah, stuff like Craig is like, yeah, it's very silly that none of the brutes were emoting. But like as developers, that's not something that they don't notice. Like I'd imagine some stuff. Like I said, developing this little demo thing in a bubble i'd imagine it's like hey none of the ai are uh, emoting is something bugged and it's like probably <laughs> but it doesn't matter we fixed it in the main branch of the game like people won't care surely yeah. right hey, i, I want to throw this out here before i forget it's something i totally was not going to ask her for, but you guys remember back when uh, i think it was probably six months ago now when that video was shown off about we are 343 industries and people caught the demo that said grappling hook yeah yeah and then Frank O'Connor came out and said, uh, obviously, we scanned for that stuff. Uh, we, we would have known if that was something we didn't want you to see. Do you do you think they made a mistake or do you think they purposely put that out there to get the idea of a grappling hook going in the community? I think they are very hyper aware that uh, so during Halo 4, uh, when that marketing cycle was happening, they had pages of the script i saw that um, nope. <laughs> with the with the didact and cortana's confrontation at the end like just plainly on display <laughs> yeah. in, in a vidoc that came out and it must have been like june or july time uh, the hero the hero awakens one and since then they've you know really been like okay we can't do this again and that led up to um, a joke where they did uh, a Halo 6 script in another Vidoc for Halo 5, which was Yabda Cuts Loose. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so I think that they are definitely aware of what they put in there. That might have been something that they accidentally scanned over because it's a very small shot of a screen, which anybody could miss. But... Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say whether they were deliberately like, "Ooh, let's sow the seeds of having a grapple hook in there." Yeah, I'm a bit of like sizzle. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm definitely not a conspiracy theorist at all. But I, I recall back before MCC was announced, I was a member of the NeoGAF forum. I'm sure you guys have heard of. And um, there was a person who joined the NeoGAF forum. It was a brand new account. I think it was called Nocturnal. And the person spilled all the beans about. The Master Chief Collection, and this was mm-hmm. like February of 2000. Like the War or something? They called it the War Collection, War collection. and they said it was going to include uh, Halo 1. It was going to include, it was going to be Halo 2 Anniversary, 
you know, Halo 1 and 2 anniversary, but you could pay DLC to get 3 and 4 as additional. It's like, who wouldn't pay for that DLC? Uh, but they, they, they basically confirmed everything that was announced at MCC, except for they, they changed up some names and, and altered a few details. And they even said something like, you know, the, the guys at Redmond are going to be irritated for me spilling all this information. And then, surely enough, it comes to E3, and most of it was correct. And that, that, that person who spilled the beans, they, uh, they created that account, made all of those, uh, said all those things, and then removed their account and never returned. So a lot of people believed, you know, maybe this was, you know, if you guys remember to end of two, or 2013 with the, with the Xbox One, not a lot of hype for that system. So a lot of people believe that they kind of purposely had someone, you know, put out some details, leak some details to, uh, to generate some hype because the MCC, like, that's a dream come true for fans. So I kind of thought, you know, maybe with the grab, I'm, I'm drawing a lot of conclusions here, but I'm thinking you know, with the grappling hook, it might've been one of those deals where it's like, you know, grappling hooks going to be hard for some Halo fans to accept. Let's, let's kind of throw this in here to, to throw the ID, get it out in the conversation. Just to get a feel. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But who knows though? Really? Uh, what do you guys, we had the song reveal yesterday or two days ago now, I think it was yeah, a set, set of fire and heart hearts. come out. Yeah. We got to hear that at length. How do you guys feel about what you've heard so far from the score? I, it's it, really good. Yeah. That's what I think. What do you, yep. yeah. I got For me, no I'm like, complaints. I'm, <laughs> I'm someone who like, I, I admittedly like before, I'd say before like Halo 5, I was like, I didn't really like I, Halo 4 soundtrack. I'm only just now coming around to it. And I'm like, this is super good. But I was wrong because for me, I was like, so in that Bungie era frame of mind that I was like, if it's not Marty, I'm just writing it off already, which was wrong, right? You know, Specifically Marty and Salvatore. I don't think yeah. people give him enough credit. No, you're right. You're right. I love his work on Destiny 2. Squ- uh, Marty's so the, good. Marty's like the crazy one who goes just like nuts with his like synths and his pianos and stuff. And then you got Salvatore who comes in and tries to make it palatable. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to inform you that Brian's internet took a big fat poopy, and due to scheduling conflicts, Taraz was unable to return for the remainder of the episode. Brian and I want to send a quick shout out to Taraz for coming on when he could, and we look to get him back on in the future. For now, though, we hope you enjoy the rest of this Haruspis-filled episode. Yeah, I think the general consensus in the community right now is that everyone really likes the music that they've heard from Infinite. Uh, I think there's three composers that are uh, being brought for infinite uh, yeah alex what, what are the three composers <laughs> um so these are we got curtis schweitzer who was announced last year um following the discover hope trailer we have gareth coker who worked on the ori games uh who was announced just uh, last week when when we saw when we saw the demo and joel yager i believe is also the third person who was talked about in the waypoint blog and the pedigree between them in terms of what they've worked on is you know pretty astounding joel i think worked on uh, death strandings music um curtis worked on starbound which super fun game really great score and as i said you know, gareth coker on ori probably one of the definitive soundtracks two of the definitive soundtracks of this entire generation yeah, I've heard nothing. I haven't played those games, but I've heard nothing but astounding. They are sitting on my hard drive right now, waiting to be played. Waiting to be played. I was going to say, I've heard so many good things about the music of Ori. Is the uh, This is a genuine question. I really don't know. Do, does Death Stranding get praised for its... Is it, does it have good, really good music? You know, as divisive as Kojima can be, I think nobody can uh, say a negative word about his music taste. He is uh, mm. he's very much on point. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, how did you? Now, I I feel like it's safe to assume you loved Halo 4's score, but how did you feel about Halo 5's? Did you enjoy it as well, or not as much? 
I did. Uh, <laughs> you can already tell from this tone of my of my voice that there's a but coming. Yeah. Um, I feel like in four they really balanced out the sort of two approaches of Kazuma and Neil by having them co compose, and that's historically been how it's been with Halo, right? You had Marty and Michael, Neil and Kazuma. Now we've got these three composers for uh, for Infinite. There have been a whole slew of other composers like uh, Brian Trifon and Tom Salto who have worked on the anniversary soundtracks and everything. So I, th I feel like there's a sort of confluence of that talent where people balance out their sort of different approaches. And Halo 5, I felt, was a bit too directed in sort of one direction with sort of how the music felt. I'm in complete agreement. At yeah. the same time really fucking amazing tracks in a lot of that soundtrack um the blue team uh, variation which yeah. sort of builds on some of the tracks from halo 4 um some of the more classic stuff like scavengers some of the new stuff like covenant prayer where you've got the chanting yes that was, See, that's oh, my favorite actually fantastic See, stuff the thing about halo 5 soundtrack i don't know if this is something most people agree with or if i'm just alone on this but like I, I thought Five's entire soundtrack was very competent and, and, and enjoyable, but to me, out of all of the mainline tracks, it was the most forgettable, the, the one that stood out the least. Would you agree with that, Alex? Or I think so, yeah. I, I feel great frustration whenever I listen to it and a lot of the tracks aren't utilized very well in, in the game. When one of my favorite tracks on that soundtrack is Jameson Locke's theme. <laughs> it just never plays with anything the lock really does in the game. So you don't feel that same kind of connection between the characters and the music and the story. It's all very much like sort of, you know, mishmash together. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Speaking speaking of the music, though, like and you guys can tell me if you felt differently. But when I was watching the gameplay reveal for Infinite, I couldn't help but feel like it was a little quiet. And I knew when I thought about that more, I know I, I had to, you know, assess that. And I realized, like, it's because it's open, you know. But something I want to pick your guys' brains about is, like, do you think, I guess, to a fault that there's there's this potential narrative that could happen after the game's release that, you know, the open aspect sort of affected the, the emotional flow of the game? Because, I mean, so much of the other games, you know, the, the music sort of carries us and helps, you know, uh, yeah, address the linear tone. linear and directed, isn't it? Right. What do you guys think about that? Alex? Yeah. Uh, so it depends kind of on their approach. They've obviously got this open sort of structure. But mm -hmm. within that, maybe the missions themselves are more linear and directed while there's other stuff to do. So, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, that's something you'd really have to talk to a composer about. It's like, so how do you make music to uh, basically fill whatever it is that the player is doing that maybe the game can't quite account for in the way that you would in a linear story i unfortunately am not a composer and do not have the answers to that so yeah. <laughs> maybe it's something that uh, that those three composers could uh, talk about in a future uh, future interview see uh i think i think i'm just gonna i'll just take this opportunity to to go on my soapbox about this was something i wanted to mention with taras about the graphics but it also applies to the music here I really need to just like sit down and write something about this, but I, I just feel I keep I keep comparing Breath of the Wild to Halo Infinite. To me, they I've seen that on yeah. To Twitter me, they're just I just see so many similarities in them because like if you look at and I don't know uh, I know Josh isn't. Are you a fan of Zelda at all, um, Alex? I haven't played a Zelda game since probably uh, the early two thousands, so okay. I can't I can't call myself a, a huge okay. fan. Okay, uh, I did well, love what I played there. 
Yeah, the Zelda games kind of they kind of uh, went they kind of started to funnel down this uh, this narrow path of doing the same thing over and over again. The, the Zelda games kept iterating, then they went to 3D. Then you had like Majora's Mask that that kind of uh, it, it brought in a lot of NPCs, made the world feel really dark and alive. You had Wind Waker, which it gave a new art style, and it was set on the seas with a boat instead of a, a horse and field. And then you had Twilight Princess, which more or less kind of did the same thing the other Zeldas had done. Then you had Skyward Sword, which got even more narrow in doing the same kind of... It was the same kind of structure. It was acquire gear, beat temples, beat Ganondorf, it's over with. And and when it once we got to Skyward Sword, it was starting to become apparent to the Zelda fandom, I think, that like Zelda had gotten kind of stale. It was kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So they took some real time away, and then they came back with Breath of the Wild. And as you guys know, Breath of the Wild is a highly esteemed title um, that sure. basically sold Switches on its own. And... I know me as a Zelda fan. I've played the old, the old Zeldas. I've played Breath of the Wild. I think Breath of the Wild is this fantastic experience, amazing game. I think it deserves all the praise, but it it fundamentally changed what Zelda was. It it it, it gave it a new base. It gave it a new audience and a new feel. Um, most of the other Zeldas were typical linear: beat the temple, you know, go through the temple, beat the boss, continue. Well, then you get to Breath of the Wild, and it keeps a lot of the things that made Zelda interesting, like the the world and the and, you know Link and his gear, and um, you know th- the certain enemy types and stuff like that. But instead, in Breath of the Wild, it just drops you in this open map. It lets you complete the dungeons in any order. There's a lot less time spent on developing the dungeons and the relevance of the dungeons. It's more about go where you want in Breath of the Wild. Do what you want in the order you want to do it, and um, it's got because of the the scope of the world. You know the, and I'm not saying Zelda has been known for like being graphically cunning, but um, Breath of the Wild's graphics are very are artistic, and they're not hyper realistic or anything like that. And then the world is huge, and then the music. Another thing that's been loved about Zelda, it's it's done differently because it's an open world setting. And these are the two comparisons I'm making to Halo Infinite. You know, you look at Halo Infinite, um, I think it's fair to say that game was primarily designed for the Xbox One. Are we in agreement on that? Does it seem seems like to be that? the case, but I don't know. Like yeah, first re- and foremost? Don't really know. What do you think, Alex? Was It doesn't seem like it was developed with Series X from the get-go in mind, is my opinion. But Hard to say without uh, sort of direct insight and, you know... I don't want to sort of say either way whether like it was or wasn't because you know it may have been like a series of compromises that three four three had to make and say well this is what we're aiming for so here's what we got to do. I think yeah like that generational kind of push is not the same as it has been before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I, this comes from someone who personally the the graphic fidelity of Infinite does not mean anything to me personally, though I know it, it matters greatly to others. But I just feel like um, that Infinite you can tell by what they're pitching us as a game. It's designed to be more open. It's designed to let you have some more player agency in how you approach things, even if it will still have a linear story structure and missions that are, you know, put together. Um, But also, yeah, exactly. Um, So the way in which infinite gives you more player agency to do what you want, and it is more open. I can see how like in breath of the wild that changed the graphics that changed the music, and I think Infinite's doing the, very much the same thing. And to ultimately take this entire you know thing I've been on and, and bring it to a close, uh, Breath of the Wild really reinvigorated 
the series of Zelda. Mm. It, it put it back on the map. It never was off the map, but it put it back on the map in a big way. Uh, it's it's sold a lot of copies. It's very popular. It's brought in a lot of new fans who said, you know, I really couldn't get into this other Zelda, but this one gives me a little more freedom to do what I want. Mm-hmm. And I just see that echoed in Infinite a lot with mm. the way that, like, you guys were talking about music and how maybe the, the music's going to be a little more subtle here or there or less noticeable because it's sure. not going to be in a triumphant linear mission structure. Well, um, but, yeah, I don't you. know. What do you guys think about it? Does that make sense? Or that's No, I, I get that. I mean, I was going to say, like, I was actually going to ask you, Alex, and feel free to chime in too, Brian, but like for you, Alex, do you feel like there's potential for this to be the most replayable Halo for you because of the openness or potentially like, you know, the complete opposite? Yeah, I've often said that uh, one of my grievances with a lot of games these days is that they really want to be my hobby. But I say that uh, if any game was to uh, succeed in trying to be my hobby, Halo is going to be the one to do it. So yeah, I definitely get the that. prospect of exploring not just any Halo ring, but you know, Installation Zero Seven of all the rings. Uh, yeah, in this sort of more open f- way that we've never been able to do before, outside of like Halo One, where you had much more open kind of levels. Right. I that- can't imagine how vicious Alex's articles are going to be if they don't touch if they don't touch on any of the lore bits that are on Zeta Halo. Yeah. So it will turn out that what happened in Halo Primordium was actually on that bit of the ring that's exploded and is no longer, <laughs> no longer there. <laughs> Ooh. You, okay. I, I gotta. I gotta. Now, I don't know as much about the expanded lore. I'm actually currently reading Cryptum for the first time, which Ooh, is exciting. great so far. Yeah. But uh, I know a bit about the the Palace of Pain. Do you think that? building that's back there i mean do you think that's it what's your thoughts on that oh i don't want to sort of set up my expectations and the expectations of others by saying oh yeah it's okay. definitely the past pain. it does retain so it does feel similar to it from what's described mm-hmm. in in the book in the kind of overall shape but it could be okay. something completely different could be something, right I mean, they reference the auditorium right in in that demo it could be it could well be that okay okay i was just curious because i have i remember asking brian when i saw it i was like is that is that what people are speculating? Is it going to be Palace of Pain? And he's like, it could be. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that, uh, you know, because we've, we've talked about how, you know, Halo 4, they had all this direction uh, with, you know, they had the the Greg Bear trilogy uh, of books and um, all this. You could see very much it, how they were setting up this plan for the next, you know, the, the Reclaimer saga of Halo. And Halo 4 had all these ideas and ambitions. And we've already talked about how maybe it got a little bit away from that with 5. And now we're hoping that we can kind of get back to that more with Infinite. And I think the fact that it is set on Zeta Halo, for me, and maybe I'm just getting too hopeful, I, I feel like the fact that it's set on Zeta Halo very much tells me, yeah, we want to still, we got a lot more to say about the things we had in mind for the Re- Reclaimer saga. Absolutely. I mean, they could have chosen pretty much any ring, right? They could have chosen one that we've not been to before, like Installation 06 or 01, or we could have gone back to 03, which was visited in Halo 4. But they chose this one this specific ring which is the setting of probably the most esoteric halo novel that there is out there and that to me really shows their commitment to wanting to you know bring back that sense of uh you know, what what we've had before when we visited halo rings in the previous games but also tying it into what they've established in the extended law and rewarding that investment as this perfect kind of middle ground structure between them i've got an article in the works on that already but uh Ooh, yeah a little sizzle Looking it's exciting yeah I, I you know you kind of mentioned earlier and correct me if i misunderstood you but like 
I'm definitely the sort of person at this point who I well I used to enjoy open world games mm. a lot when I had more time as a kid and I don't as much now so mm. I'm much more interested in the sort of linearity of a concise story that I can experience and I don't have to it's not going to become a hobby per se it's not going to take over my life and yeah. I still enjoy that stuff but now that Halo Infinite has it I think I'm I'm much more excited because I don't think I've I don't think I've ever had this with the first person shooter per se so I think with it being Halo that intrigues me because I feel like I'm I've got the opportunity to have the illusion I guess I felt in Combat Evolved sort of fully realized. They're they're kind yeah. of avoiding the term open world though, aren't they? Yeah, no, I know and I, I yeah, yeah, I should I should I think should I think that. what uh you know, man just the openness. Once again, it's kind of like, you know, me going my soapbox about Breath of the Wild. Um, something I've mentioned before on the podcast is about Gears 5. Do you play Gears at all? I do, I'm, yes. Big, big Gears fan. Great. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Um, and I don't know if you see this at all, Alex, but like I've been telling Josh last couple episodes, I'm like, I kind of feel like what they're doing with Infinite is going to be a little bit more, obviously it's going to be much more ambitious, but they're kind of doing what they did with uh, with Gears 5. which it is they, it, right, yeah. Yeah, they, they very much were like, okay, we know what makes Gears good, so we're going to keep the structured, designed uh, encounter zones, and we're going to have missions and, 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 and story and directed moments, but there's two big sections in Gears 5. I think it's Act 2 and Act 4. Um, where you have you get or you're given the skiff, which is like a, a land, that's like a sail and land vehicle. Super yeah, fun to drive. So yeah, fun. yeah, I really enjoy it. And basically, when they put you in these these zones, they're pretty much like, okay, here's where the story's going. So if you want to continue the story, kind of go here. Mm. But also, you have all this room to explore. You can go over here, and there might be a, an encounter with some of the swarm, and you can get like a special sniper rifle that does double damage, or you can go over here and find some secret stuff, and it kind of gives you – you get this typical Gears experience, but you have these moments where, once again, you have a little more player agency to kind of have some fun, take your time, go off the beaten path, and it seems to me that's what Halo Infinite's going to be doing, but it obviously already just from the demo looks a lot more ambitious to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually have this quote that uh, the little bio, when they brought it up in the the demo for the gun battery, said, we're not leaving this island until we take out the banished AA cannons. There are three of them. They're heavily defended. Proceed with caution. And I feel like, I know they mentioned before on one of the Waypoint articles, like something about how like they want to make sure, despite this having a, a bigger sense of openness to it, that they still keep the, the narrative flow kind of going. So like... I feel like it's safe to assume they're going to be like segregated sections that you're kind of going to like progress through. So the narrative is not being like wholly interrupted by you wanting to just explore the whole ring for like 10, 20 hours. Right. I mean, is that what you guys think? <laughs> we need to take down this very quickly. I'm just going to spend 10 hours doing. Yeah. <laughs> it always reminds me of like fallout four's main story of like your, your kid's been kidnapped. Rescue and you're yourself. like, well, I'm going to, Yeah. So I'm just going to go mess around for 200 hours. This, this is like off topic, but the, in the beginning of that, that demo, when it's still in the cinematic and like um, Chief says to the pilot, he's something like, if we don't stop the banished. And when I hear just the words, the banished come mm. out of Chief's mouth, I'm just like, it reminds me of so many times he said like, we got to stop the covenant or something. It's just like hearing the covenant come out of his mouth again, but just this new faction and just, you know, I, I like how, uh, I don't know who it was. One of you might remember I think it might have been Brian Gerard. I don't know. Said in an interview, he was like, like, why'd you choose the Banish? And he was like, they're cool and everyone loves fighting them. <laughs> it was Paul Crocker, yeah. Paul Crocker, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
yeah, I mean, right? That just sums it up. That's the, the Bannister badass. Yeah. Well, I love I love the idea because it's just a, I mean, in a sense, it's just the Covenant still, you know? And with I some love differences, that I, but yeah. I right, exactly. So, I mean, I love that I still get the opportunity to sort of interact with those types of characters and, and fight them and, and get to see the, the Banished, the, the way they sort of interact. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, like um, with the Covenant, you obviously have the whole rivalry between the Elites and the Brutes, but the difference you got with the Banished here is that the Brutes are top dog, right? Here, right. They're working together with the Elites, and you don't get that same sense of animosity between them because they have joined the Banished out of a sort of loyalty to Atriox and to, mm-hmm. their, to their leaders. So it's going to be really cool to see what that dynamic brings to some of the storytelling that they do with the Banished which is really going to differentiate them from the Covenant. Well, and isn't, I mean, the Banished is basically their their end goal is to serve themselves, right? I mean, and you could say that that was the Covenant as well, but they were based so much more around the religion that the prophets had propped, mm. uh, propped Yeah, up. there's no none of that religious pretense with the Banished. They're just like, no, just victory. That's what we're after. Which which is so, like, that's so, like, over, so common and overused in other uh, franchises, but it's really new to Halo, isn't it? Yeah, you know, definitely. That's, what, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, with, uh, now with Eshiram, like, for you guys, you guys could tell me, for because I'm sure there's other people like me who don't know as much about the Banished and stuff like that, but, like, you know, as he's hyping, you know, Chief up mm. at the end of that video, which was fantastic, you know, he's talking about the ring being his, like, final stand and everything like that. Uh, I mean, is that typically common in terms of how, like, the Banished approach combat? Like, are they very, like, war-hungry, combat-hungry, or yeah, sort of Paul, any political Yeah, Paul was saying aspect? this in, uh, in the uh, media briefing where he was saying that, you know, the Banished are excited in this pure warmongering kind of way that they're going up against the chief, you know, where the Covenant's like, oh, no, the demon is here. The, the Banished are like, yes, the demon yeah. is here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it just brings such a different kind of energy to the game, which I think a lot of people really, you know, really going to latch on to. It's just, it, Absolutely. For me, it just feels so exciting that, you know, uh, as we were talking before about the, the Prometheans, you know, they're, they're a very self-serious. Uh, I love the Prometheans as they are, but they are very self-serious and very dark very uh frustrating in a lot of ways not just you know in a, in the sense that they're annoying to fight which i don't always find to be the case but mm-hmm. um in terms of like what they represent for the story and all that you they're, they're quite narrow in terms of what you can do with them because they are that you've you've just nailed down uh, thematically and tonally what they are whereas the banished you can have this sort of you can have the craig memes and then you can have the brutes are you know this warmongering race and then you can build on that with the horrors that we've seen throughout the halo universe of what they do where they like eat people and stuff so it's this whole broad range of what you really need them to be when you need them to be it and it all sort of fits together do you feel like a lot of that has to do with the sense of organicness that we have coming from them compared to something like the Prometheans, which yeah. are a little bit more one-dimensional? In that sense. I think it's yeah. kind of what he means by they're so yeah. serious, you know, Prometheans. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's a shame because, like, you know, I, I do feel like the Prometheans is something that 343 never really committed to. They didn't tell a lot of stories with them. Uh, as we said earlier, the, the, they could have been taken out of five altogether and the narrative wouldn't really change. They are enemies there for you to fight. And not much more, except for a few sort of off-the-beaten-track paths where you see, like, the depressed knights in the cage and exuberant zoo. But there's just not a whole lot of substance there, which I really hope uh, in the expanded universe they'll be able to take forward that maybe they couldn't do in ways that they did in the games. 
Yeah, there's there's something I want to say, and there's a question I want to ask you, Alex. But I, I think when when Esherum says like, uh, "I wish I could tell you it was difficult, but it wasn't." What I always <laughs> I've think seen of, that memes t- to death now. Yeah, what I, I, what I think of is that when I first played Destiny One, and I really just, I you know, Destiny One looks so cool, and I was like, "I want to, I want to get involved in this world. I want to find more lore, more story." And then you get to the speaker who's at the tower, and he's like. <laughs> There's so much I could tell you about but the story, but I won't. <laughs> like, I like to tell Thanks. you that it was difficult, but it wasn't. Uh, and I, I remember, like, I remember the Angry Joe review for that game back in the day. He like slowed down the the speaker's voice. He was like, mm. "I wish I could tell you. I would. But I could tell you more of the story, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to know more." Um, but you know, I was gonna say uh, two things about the Prometheans. One. Um, and I definitely think I definitely think Alex and I are in the minority. I'm pretty sure Alex and I both liked the Prometheans in Halo Four more. Is yep. that correct? Yes. Yeah, we're in the minority. I think I, I largely see people say they they much preferred how they were in Five. Um, for me, when I when I played through Four and completed Four, I just felt like the Prometheans. I felt like they worked. I felt like they fit the fit the story. I felt like they were fun to fight. Of course, I've always had something to say about how they're kind of lifeless, and I wish they had a little more character. But obviously. Their lore, it makes sense why they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, with Halo 5, like like we said, it was very much, did they even need to be there? So I guess my question is, um, do you think in one of those future kind of DLC stories they're potentially talking about in the next 10 years of, of Infinite, do you think we're going to see the Prometheans then? Or do you think we're going to straight up see them in the main game? I think we're if we don't see them in the main game, which I have doubts about, uh, I think we could definitely see them in the future during this 10-year span of this platform 343 wants to create for the future. I, you know, I envisage like this hunt uh, across the ring where we're seeing these like echoes from the domain chasing down the didact or something, and then we've got the sort of Prometheans and the kind of boss sort of form they were originally sort of concepted at. You remember that old Halo 4 picture of that really big Promethean mm. yep. uh, with like the blue eyes and everything? Yeah, I just imagine that in my head. I don't want to set my expectations too far, but uh, we'll probably 10 be years done differently. Is kind of what you're saying. If they are there, there's going to be some differences, probably yes. from what we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean they already considered it with Halo Wars Two, if you remember, for the Awakening of the Nightmare DLC, um, where they originally decided wanted. Uh, well, I said they already concepted um, having the Prometheans for that before they decided on bringing the Flood back. Mm. I don't think I was aware of that. I think or either I forgot about it. Um, and I guess kind of just built off this now. I now I want to know, and this is a really big question that Josh might have had planned on asking later. But like, what are your share share with us, Alex? Like, what? And actually, you too, Josh. I want to know both your guys' opinions. Um, what are your desires for, and what do you think will come of? And I'm just going to say these three things: <laughs> the the didact's involvement in Infinite, whoever the Harbinger is, and what the heck's going on with Cortana and the Domain. Uh, Alex, you start us off. What do you yeah. what do you think is going to happen versus what you want? Just wherever, just take us wherever you, wherever you want. Those are some big questions. Uh, very big. My approach to this, uh, so that I don't fall into the same trap as I did with five, is, uh, and maybe this is a disappointing answer, but I want to kind of wait and see, and I don't want to go into it with uh, specific expectations of this is where the story needs to or should go or yeah i I do have things that i want i do want to see the didact back but uh, i've written before that uh, i don't think this is really the time to do it and potentially not the right format for it i mean 
we've seen with like Guilty Spark, right, who died, quote unquote, in the games, but he has gone on to have this life beyond that in, in the books, which Kelly Gay brought to a tremendous like that- reset point with Renegades. Yeah, okay, that's what I just... I saw that. I'm a, I got a note about it later on uh, that I wanted to ask you about. But that uh, Brian from Polygon, that video, which was fantastic, and he was mentioning <laughs> yes. that, and I was like, I didn't know that, and I thought that's so cool. <laughs> so I love that. But continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So when I think about these things, I, 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 this is the first time I'm sort of taking a step back and saying, okay, um, you know, this is about a Halo game that's more than just for me. Halo Four was for me. The, you know, after the uh, sort of controversies with Reach, where, you know, the whole story contradicted the book. There was a real uh, sort of appetite in the fan base for a more narratively driven Halo game that tied in with the extended universe. That's exactly what we got with 4. And those appetites have changed over the years. Um, With Halo 5, you know, how that was this, in the middle of all this transmedia that... uh, everyone a lot of people struggled to keep up with and then didn't really reflect on the game itself so we're at this sort of unique point with infinite where it's got to be the spiritual reboot it's got to be that beginning again for everyone and like i said earlier you know they're putting us all on the same page there's a lot of stuff that those of us who've read every single bit of halo lore out there we don't know we know about as much as people who are coming into the series for the first time yeah yeah go ahead I was gonna say I don't I don't want to take us all over the place, but there's something when you know we just we just got that uh, recent Halo Waypoint article. This this idea kind of came to me while you were talking, Alex. I was like, you know, they mentioned in that article, they say it so, the way they say it in the article is like it's new news, and it's not new news at all, which is why I find it so it's so crazy how it's worded. New but news. It's basically like it's basically like, um, well, due to the fans really you know uh, desiring a more uh, classic look for the game, we have the more muted tones and. And I'm I'm paraphrasing uh, of of the uh, the Bungie days basically of Halo. That's the look they went for for Infinite, and they described that in the latest Waypoint uh, to address people's concerns of uh, amidst graphical issues why it looks the way it does. And and to me, and I, I feel like to all of us here, in my mind, I'm going. We've been hearing people complain about wanting it to look like Bungie Halo for so <laughs> so long that it shouldn't even need to be said at this point why they made the decision like to me it's just so yeah, blatantly can't obvious it's so bad that they have we to know do. yeah we know why they made the decision people complained about it for literally uh you know eight years now um so now we have that back and, and and no one's doing anything wrong because i can't i can't just i can't say that the entire halo community says this or the entire halo community says that because mm. there is no absolutes there there's very much people who from the beginning loved 343's direction with their art design, their stories. Maybe Halo 4 was their favorite. I know some people who Halo 5 is, is truly their favorite Halo experience. And they they miss that we're, we're, we're walking away from some of that stuff. And I think it's completely fair because I think those people that became fans during 4 and 5 or, or maybe were fans before but just liked 343's efforts more, I think they're just as valid. I think they're just as much Halo fans. Sure. And I, I think it's just going to be a really hard time for them right now to see the direction Halo's going because it's so much about celebrating the old right now. Mm. Well, that's what's tough too, I think, with that kind of thing. Is this like, it's hard because you have so many knee-jerk reactions out there. And I think for this, it, for me, it's just hard to get my brain around having forming your absolute opinion of this game and just writing it off when you've only seen eight minutes of what is supposed <laughs> to be the biggest Halo game of all time. And I, I think... It's fun to speculate, 
but I also get kind of perusus why you don't, in a sense, want to it, it, it sometimes because it's it's like by doing that you almost start to sort of form expectations and yeah, I've don't, written my own Halo Infinite in my head, and suddenly the one that uh, that I'm playing isn't as good. <laughs> yeah, you start to have trouble. Like I, I kind of said this to you before in a message, but like the Last Jedi, I think is objectively a fantastic film. Mm, but when agreed. I first saw it, I had such a hard time with it. But it was completely 100% because of my expectations. And I let that get in the way. And once that was able, the dust was able to settle and I could think about it, I was like, this is really good. <laughs> you know, but I let myself create what the, the plot I wanted. So, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, I, I, speaking, Halo, go ahead, Brian. I was just to say with Halo 3, I, you know, Halo 3, I think it, 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 it lived up to expectations as a whole. But I had built such unrealistic expectations for it. I remember me and, and Justin sitting in the bus at school thinking, talking about how we'd heard rumors that you would be floating in the air on Halo fighting the Grave Mind in gameplay. And I'm just like, that sounds so badass. Like the Grave Mind floating <laughs> in the sky and I'm in the sky and it's like I'm trying to kill the Grave Mind on a one on one. And I'm like, so then I, I get Halo 3 and like that was one of several expectations I had. So I play Halo 3, I'm like, it's over? Like I don't. I never even saw the grave mind, you know, like, you know, just, just, just several things that I had, like, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, obviously, you know, that what you picture in your head isn't going to be what, what happens, but you almost don't realize it and you do kind of expect it to be what was in your yeah, head. Yeah. That's kind of the folly of expectations, isn't it? Is that you start to curate an idea and when that idea doesn't happen, then you're like, then you struggle to just accept it as it is. So. See, one thing for me but, was, uh, okay. with Halo 5. Um, they released the soundtrack samples early yep, and I, I was listening to what's one of my favorite tracks in there is Blue Team uh, mm -hmm. and the the second half of that uh, it plays in the main menu and uh, it plays over the credits but it doesn't feel like music that should be just for a menu it feels like it would be this epic sort of like cliffhanger yes. kind of ending where you know you've got this sort of epic triumphant tone but with this sense of loss as well and i just built this entire picture in my head of what that scene would be like you know four on the ships exiting through slip space returning to the galaxy all that sort of thing i love that <laughs> yeah. and uh you know you sort of sabotage yourself there because that track only actually plays in the credits <laughs> it doesn't actually play in the game itself yeah. it doesn't play over a scene except for when cortana puts uh, puts them in the cryptum so i'm yeah. just picturing alex first time at the credits and he's like man what i had pictured happening during this music was so <laughs> much cooler <Yeah. laughs> uh something i want to ask you guys too is uh, regarding sort of, I guess, expectations and stuff like that. This is a bit off the the sort of lore aspect, but Jeff Easterling, lovely Jeff Easterling, lovely said Jeff. recently, yeah, uh, I got a question I got to ask you about him earlier because I know you met him before and I'm just dying to hear about that. But um, he said recently, it was quoted as saying, I'll tell you right now, the only BR we're really interested in <laughs> is Battle Rifle. So I know Brian, wasn't Brian's that, just someone. Wasn't that an old post, Josh? I'm pretty sure that was. I could be wrong. Well, it was from but IGN, I think that was right? Recent. Yes. I think that was. I think IGN just reposted it, but it's okay. from 2018. Okay, yeah. but still, I'm just curious. Like, it seems more or less that there's an implication there that that's we're not going to have battle royale now. Her, uh, Alex, do you do you play a lot of the multiplayer, or are you more 
campaign focused? Uh, I would say I am more campaign focused, but I have played uh, an inordinate amount of Halo multiplayer over the years, from one to to five, Wars two, etc. So you know, I do have my, I do while I do foreground my campaign stuff, I do have you know opinions on the multiplayer as well. Sure. Do you do you guys? I mean, if it doesn't, like you've been you've been in the community longer. If it if it doesn't have battle royale, do you think people this can be something people are going to be able to just quickly uh, adjust to? You know, and, and the people who really wanted it, they're going to be able to just be like, okay, no big deal, because what's here is awesome. Or do you think that's going to be a issue of expectation? Yeah, it's people? never really been an expectation with Halo, has it? But at the same time. I understand because Halo has jumped on the sort of trend bandwagon before with stuff like Firefight, where uh, mm-hmm. the horde modes and that was uh, was all the rage. So I understand that people, uh, you know, really want Halo to do this again because Battle Royale right now is, uh, well, I, I don't think it's at its peak right now, but it has consolidated itself as, uh, you know, massively popular. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, sure. if it does have it, cool i'd be interested to see what Haley's unique spin on it is i've never been interested or enjoyed battle royale before uh but maybe halo would be the one to change my mind that's exactly yeah. where i'm at i couldn't i was gonna say i can i could tell brian every time i mention my eyes go battle back royale, my his eyes just go back <laughs> and say, he just wants to fall asleep every time yeah but, so uh, I, I said what did i say on the other episode of the podcast i was like the only thing oh yeah i said the only conversation that interests me less than sprint or no sprint is is there a battle royale <laughs> yeah okay but well back back to bring it back a bit on, on on some of the story stuff we already kind of touched upon this but i just would like to, to kind of hear you guys' thoughts more especially yours alex um because brian and i have talked about some of this Say, at what's length, wrong with my thoughts josh <laughs> i love your thoughts brian i just don't get to hear alex's as much so. <laughs> oh you smart ass um no so i uh, you know i for me for i i've, I've really come around to halo 4 and that, like we said before, was for me personally just similar to Last Jedi. I was like, this doesn't feel like Bungie and the music's different and all that. Once I was able to get past that, it took me time. But once I was able to get past it, I'm like, dude, this is fantastic. The, the score is so tonally different and it really reflects the unique experience that we're going through in Halo 4 with Chief. And and, and even to 5, I mean, I, I really appreciated um, the whole multimedia marketing campaign that was there like hunt the truth was just so good and just it had me yeah it had me so excited now like brian you mentioned earlier there's so many there are people out there whose favorite halo is five and that was even their first game they got into and stuff even if it's not their favorite if you know with this seemingly wanting to go back to sort of halo's roots in a sense you know, and there's so like I see I see the common question I see and they even answered it. Uh, they tried to answer it. And the waypoint was, you know, where's Infinity? Mm. Where's Osiris? Where's uh, Palmer? You know, all these people, you know, do you guys do you guys expect that to take more of a back seat? And if so, do you think there's going to be potentially a disconnect? Like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, you know, I, I see sometimes when um, things come out, like sequels come out and stuff, and it's broadly different. That at first people are, are fine with it, and then afterward there's sort of a, a people get upset or they get mad, and it's like, oh no, this feels too jarring. Because I'm thinking for us, like we've we follow these stories, but then for new players who maybe say want to go through Halo Combat Evolved, and they're going to actually marathon straight through into Infinite, is there is there potential there to be a, a really strong disconnect going from five straight into Infinite as opposed to us who have waited for five years? 
Yes and no, I think. But yeah, it's difficult because when you go into Halo 5, for example, if, you, if you're going in from whether it's the end of Halo 4 or the end of Spartan Ops, or if you've read all of Escalation, mm-hmm. you were in the same boat as somebody who was jumping into Halo 5 and had no clue what was going on because it just told this completely different story and jumped ahead. Yeah, so there's, there's a way to do it and a way not to do it, I think. And Halo 5 was really the way not to. If you contrast that, say, to Halo 4, where uh, you've got that introductory prologue which sets up a lot of the themes of the story, you know, you've got Halsey there, it, it sort of takes you through some of the, the battles that have happened in the Human Covenant War in a sort of metaphorical kind of sense. And then it, you know, shoots you four years, seven months, ten days past Halo 3. And you start with this very narrow story about the Chief and Cortana together again on, you know, on their next adventure going to the the legendary planet from Halo 3. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's much easier to get on board with because you are thrown into a situation where you've only got two characters in, you know, a situation that is gradually unfolding uh, and sort of like eventually kind of makes deference to the past, but is also pushing forward. And I think that's the impression I really get from uh, Halo Infinite, what we've seen thus far, where it's really narrowed down on the chief and the pilot taking place after this cataclysmic battle, whatever has happened, and we will gradually discover what's got on. Yeah, that really, see, that excites me too, because I feel like it seem, it, it appears to be a much more intimate story, which is what I felt like 4's was, mm. right? I mean, and I and they can really broaden it from there. I mean, what do you think, Brian? I think there's a, I think there's a purposeful and an accidental disconnect that's going to be there. I think the purposeful disconnect is that Halo Infinite is purposely being built to be a platform to start on. And they've kind of, I don't, they've kind of referenced it already how like, you know, when you first play Halo Combat Evolved, you're immediately on, you know, on the Pillar of Autumn, you know, Cortana, all I need to know is, did we lose them? I think we both know the answer to that. Like they, they throw you into this, you don't, something's just happened. The, the world's already been lived in, stuff's already happened, but we don't know. I mean, the manual can fill you in on a little bit. It comes with the game. <laughs> Um, and I think that's very much what they want to do with Infinite is it's almost like, not that they don't matter because they very much matter, but it's almost like the entirety of the mainline Halo series, you could just not play and you could play Infinite and Infinite's going to take the story forward and make acknowledgements to the past in a way that makes sense. Um, so you could almost, you know, if somebody wants to come in at Infinite, they don't feel like they have to play those games. Those games can just be history. They can be background material. So that's the way that I think it's intentionally a disconnect because I, I think just by the nature of them not flat out continuing the the story that Five set up with, you know, Infinity on the run and Cortana, you know, taking over with the created, just the fact that they're not picking right up from there, I think is they're making an intentional disconnect. The unintentional disconnect is I think just just the entirety of how Halo Five was handled. I, I mean, I think it's 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 obvious at this point that um, the the way that Halo Five was built and the way that Halo 5 was received led them to scrapping what they'd already worked on to some extent and and changing the direction of the game following. Um, so that's that's where that's where it was a mistake and a disconnect they never wanted. But Halo Infinite is the answer to that disconnect with a purposeful disconnect. That's probably a really wordy way of saying how I feel about it. <laughs> I get it. it, though. I get what you're saying. The, uh, the comparison I make, and I know there's some people already who disagree with me on this, but um, is Attack of the Clones slash Revenge of the Sith, right? At the end of Attack of the Clones, um, the Clone War begins, 
which is what Yoda says, you know, there's, that's the last line of the film, begun, the Clone War has. And then we see the, oh. um, <laughs> the, the fleets taking off, the clones assembling, and then, you know, we pick up in Revenge of the Sith at the very end of the war, three years later, uh, and we sort of move into a completely different story where a bunch of stuff has happened off screen, which we will later learn about in the seven seasons of the Clone Wars television show. And it's like that show really enhances a lot of that story, but it is not necessary to the broad thematic sort of picture uh, of the saga and of, you know, Anakin's story. Um, and I really feel like that's kind of similar to the i don't want to draw an exact one-to-one comparison because they're not the same uh stars and halo and the prequels and everything so i don't want to get into the sort of the the fan politics of you know oh well this would say are you are you confirming an animated series called the created wars coming soon i can neither confirm nor deny um but it's just one of those things where I, I don't think there's anything in the actual conflict with the creator that can be this definitive kind of turning point for the universe. Where, whereas jumping straight to the end of it, into that aftermath, and looking back to see how those events inform what's going on now, and then setting the stage for these new stories and opening up all these new doors for the next 10 years is the way to do it. It's much more interesting to me. Yeah. No, oh, I definitely get that. that. That makes a lot of sense too, and I... I definitely agree about the Star Wars stuff. I mean, I don't think I'll just say this to summarize, but I mean, I I, I definitely agree with you on that. I I love the Clone Wars so much. Mm. I thought this last season was so good. Oh, brilliant! But I, you know, I don't I don't feel like that's required. I think that's the whole point of that's the whole point of the way two ends and, and three begins is just to sort of say, hey, if you want to learn more about this stuff, we have stories out there, but yeah, they're think, not required. I think one broad stroke statement I'll make to cut the Halo universe a little slack is any series that goes on this long. It's not perfect, you know. Any, any series that right. any series that lives this long and is relevant this long, things continue to get added to it. Changes continue to be made, and it gets it gets sloppy. And I, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't name one series that's ran twenty plus years and hasn't got sloppy at some point. Yeah. Okay. Completely different question about the multiplayer. I know I'm jumping back and forth here. I'm a pretty big multiplayer guy. I, love I only care about the stuff. campaign, Josh. Julish, <laughs> I will put my hand up. <laughs> uh, Okay, they more or less confirmed this is going to be something they want to support for several years. Mm. How important is it that this multiplayer is good? <laughs> and the reason I ask that is because, you know, regardless of what someone might feel about the previous multiplayers, you know, we always just kind of knew that there was only going to be a couple years wait. But with this, it sounds like it's going to be a long what, wait. What defines good? <laughs> well, I think they're all fun, though, Josh. But a lot of people would tell me that some of those Halo multiplayer sucked. But that's so. what I'm saying. I know it's subjective with that kind of thing, but I think I feel. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I feel like for this one personally, like they really have to nail. Like I, I feel bad for them because I feel like their backs are up against the wall with this kind of thing. Because you have to balance, you know, they don't want it to probably be as sweaty, you know, quote unquote, as Five's multiplayer was, but they still want it to be competitive. We know that there's esports involvement, but then you also want this again to be an entry point. And I mean, I love playing Five's multiplayer, but for newcomers coming in, I, I just played with a friend the other day who played it for his first time, and he got he was so happy when he got one kill, <laughs> and bless his heart because it's so difficult mm. for new people to come into that. And I know thank you for disguising that. That was actually me, guys. <laughs> that's not Brian. That's my friend Roman. But Brian, <laughs> that's that's funny. I love that. But I mean, uh, do you, do you guys think there's 
you guys think it has to be good like really good there's and obviously it needs to be fun there's a sense that it's sort of i hate putting it like this but there is this sense that it's uh last chance basically isn't it yeah uh it's a tough yeah. decision it's a tough position to be in and i imagine that a lot of the decisions had had to be made to really sort of uh pass out exactly what's going to appeal to certain crowds but also maintain their own kind of vision for what they want with the what they want to do with the game i think for me personally um the return of equipment is a big big win um, yeah i love to hear someone yeah love halo 3's equipment it's my favorite sort of addition to the sandbox that they made um i didn't like armor abilities at all Spartan abilities I, qu I quite liked, actually. Uh, I had no issue with stuff like Spartan Charge. I know that's a big, big topic in the community and everything. I didn't mind it. These are sort of like elements I can sort of take or leave. Uh, you know, same with like Sprint. I don't mind. Um, but equipment is something that I'm very actively like, yes, this, this is what I want. And having that back, you know, with like the drop wall and hopefully like a portable gravity lift or something, because that was always super fun. Yes. Oh my Anybody? god. Doing that to a vehicle in Halo 3 was. Oh, yeah. You got a chopper cool. barreling right towards you. You just drop that <laughs> yes. gravity lift and it soars over your oh. head. Oh, brilliant. If anybody tunes into this podcast and for some reason doesn't already know who Haruspis is, they're going to be like, the second he said that I don't mind Sprint, they're going to be like, I, I discredit everything this guy says. <laughs> I don't like this guy. I'm with you, though, 100%. Brian, what do you think, though? Well, I was going to say, I, I the fact that I, I think I disagree with Alex on this, the fact that I disagree with him makes me think. I'm probably wrong because he's such a well-spoken guy. Because um, because he said that uh, this is kind of seems to be seen as like a last chance for for the multiplayer, but but my opinion is uh, objectively as a, as a whole as a game for a game as a whole, not just this little Halo fan base that we all operate in on Twitter and whatnot. Um, it seems like Halo Five was really successful in its multiplayer. It seems like it retained a good player base the entirety of its five years. So for for a widespread appeal of of multiplayer enjoyment. I think Halo 5 has already been successful and already proved good. So all I think they need to do is 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 manage to at least have the success that 5 had, whether that's going back to a classic type uh, multiplayer more like Halo 3 or that's doing something more akin to Halo 5 again. I know there's going to be a lot of people who are out just because it's not classic Halo, and I, I feel for those people. That's I understand. But I think as long as they can retain the player base and, and have a, a widespread opinion that the multiplayer is good, like Halo 5, I think that's all they need to be successful for the next 10 years. I could be wrong, but, you know, I don't know. That's fair. I mean, I feel like it could go either which way, because, I mean, yeah, I do think 5's was super well done. I really, I very much enjoyed playing it, but I know it was very, very difficult. But I'm still playing it five years later, says, you know, a, a fair amount That's about how good it is right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Did you, okay, how'd you feel about Warzone and Breakout? Uh, I loved both at, uh, at launch. Uh, mm -hmm. Breakout was some of the most fun I've had in Halo multiplayer when that first release, like, ever. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like, uh, that uh, was just... The tension I felt in every match, you know, the, so the sense of teamwork and camaraderie going into there with like a party or even with random people. I just felt that same kind of feeling I did in Halo 3 was like, just one more game, one more game. Yes, <laughs> one more match. I love that. And when you got down to those really tense like 3v1s and you, you pull off this mir miraculous comeback and everything, it's like, oh. There's no feeling quite like it when, when you yeah. pull that off. That actually, it reminded me of Gears' multiplayer, like mm. Execution and Warzone from back in the day, where like if you were the last one on the team 
everyone was watching. <laughs> yeah, all eyes the were death on you. Cameras and, on the active players. Yeah, <laughs> you could feel your adrenaline. Oh, I, I love. I liked it. Like I, I, I wasn't super big on it, and I don't think you were either, Brian. But it was. I had some very fun matches. Well, to, to to add to what Alex said, we. I I didn't really try to break out much till. Halo Five had been out for a year plus, so because mm-hmm. uh, because I think you specifically said in the beginning you really enjoyed Breakout, right, Alex? I don't, I don't know. By the time I got around to really trying it, it just didn't seem like anyone was really playing it or talking about it. So, yeah, they made some much. changes to it and some updates, and I think that uh, they've become a lot more controversial, shall we say, as uh, as it went on. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, okay, I'm going to read this quote from you guys, and I want to pick your brains on this. Warzone was awesome um, as well, by the way. I just really, I really wanted to put that one out there. Yes, you know, I, dude, it's grown on me so much. The more, like, every time I play it now, I'm like, I love this. I can't. Why didn't I like it? I better? can't get I into it. I cannot well, get into. Warzone. I understand I it. I don't, I don't know I, why. I don't even think it's an objective problem. I just, I just can't. I don't know. Well, I remember for so long, I was just getting like the teams I was on, and, and part of it was my fault. I'm not putting the blame on the team, but we would just get steamrolled. And it was so the gap was so wide. I just wasn't having fun. And after a while, I realized it's kind of my fault because every time I'd open up rec packs, I'd sell everything just so I could uh, accumulate enough so I could open up another pack. Mm. And I didn't really have anything to utilize. And then when I started using that stuff, I was like, "This is awesome!" You know. <laughs> and then of course it sucks when you like have the combat of all pistol. You spawn with it and you go off to kill somebody. You get sniped, and it's like, oh, that was that nice. was. That was fun. I like looking at the nice. back of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to read this quote. Uh, pick your guys' brains. This was in the uh, previous Waypoint article. They said, uh, ultimately, the chief and the pilot are in exactly the same position as the player when the game starts. They don't know what happens in Halo 5. They're learning as they go through the game together. The player is learning about the history of Halo. And the pilot is learning what it means to go on an adventure with the universe's greatest soldier. And chief is also learning what it's like to be with a guy who's not a Spartan. All these things come together to flesh out the world and explain what is happening. Now, this is something for me that gets me incredibly excited about mm. this story because I feel like not having, I mean, we obviously don't know Cortana's involvement in there, but she's been such a, a driving force to give him, you know, to sort of bounce off his personality in some games where he's had it more like in four and then other games where he didn't as much. And for me, that makes me so excited because I feel like there's a sense of humanity there that Chief has a disconnect from. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned to Brian in one of the other episodes that, like, at the end of Halo 4, the sort of dialogue he has with Lasky, that's sort of like you see him kind of, like, jerk his head a bit and turn, like a kind of... She uh, said that to me once about being a machine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that makes me pretty excited. I feel like there's a lot of death that can be gleaned between both of them. Can I just uh, say that before I that? forget, every time yeah. I play Halo 4, I feel like I'm sending energy to, to like <laughs> I feel Every it. time I, pl- I play that game, I just feel like it, it makes him more powerful, like he just consumes. Because <laughs> I, I think you've said before this was kind of your intent, Alex, but you've Halo 4 is synonymous with Haruspis in my mind. You just can't it's like I'm playing Halo 1, 2, 3. Okay, now it's time for Alex's game. <laughs> I get five. that completely because I there was I, I don't know if I don't know if you know this, Alex, but there was a period in time, there's this one particular evening where Brian had just tried to ask me about my opinions on Halo 4 mm. and I didn't like it and all that. And then he started Way talking back. to me yeah, about he was like yeah, it. he's like, What well what didn't you like about it? And I started I had some answers and he started filling me with all this lore and knowledge, and I was like he could see the wheels turning in my brain as he's telling me this stuff. And I'm like, this sounds actually super interesting. I remember going home that night and I was like, I kind of want to look up Halo stuff again. 
And the next morning, I'm talking to him, and I'm like, okay, so who's who's the didact again? And I'm like, who's the precursors? And like, created and blah blah blah. Asking him. The thing, the thing that I always say, I don't know if you've experienced this, Alex. The thing that I always tell people that it's the it's the crucial moment where they go, "Holy shit, I'm back into Halo," mm. is when I say, "You know, you know, in uh, Halo One, when you know uh, Guilty Spark says to you know Master Chief, you know, having all this time to consider uh, your your query or whatever your query or whatever, I I have decided that I would like the rings. You know, you know the you know the line I'm talking yeah, about, Alex." Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I tell them that, like, yeah, that was uh, that was because Born Stellar was asking Chakas, and that's why, like, that's why that's happening. Like, once I say it, that, yeah. it's like oh. you can see their brains explode. <laughs> I <laughs> want to go check out every book ever made with Halo on. <laughs> so that's awesome to hear. Uh, but to answer, that, did, oh, I'll say, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to finish it by saying that, like, a lot of that had to do with him telling me that 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 night had so much to do with your articles because he had told me about them later on and told me that he had read them and there's like this this one guy that like has always been this big proponent of <laughs> Halo 4 being good and there's not that many people out there and I didn't really realize that I was in the majority of well, people. Well I know I know we're really and, I know we're really stroking his ego right now but really, like it is just it is really hard. <laughs> you deserve to hear it's that. It's really though. true though that it's like I can only I can only imagine other people were like me. I was just I was on the forums and I was just like Halo 4 is freaking god tier. I love this game. And everywhere you go it's just like shitting on the story, shitting on the character shitting on this shitting on that and i was like and then and then every like you just search around long enough and everything gets funneled eventually if you're someone who likes halo 4 you get funneled to this blog site by some guy named haruspa <laughs> and then he starts he starts articulating every little detail about halo 4 in what so basically he explains to the people who like halo 4 he explains why you liked it he explains why it's good why the story works why the characters work and once it's explained to you, you want to go. You, it's almost like you. It's like you grab a piece of like you grab printed off papers of Haruspus's website, and you take them to people, and you throw them on their desk, and you're like, "Now you have to admit that Halo Four is good." <laughs> and then if they no. don't, then you're just like, "Well, you're stupid," and you move on. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, that's how a, you make it's a credit. Feel. It's a credit to both of you guys too, because I mean, uh, Alex, you're the same exact way with Brian. Like for me personally, I'm someone who. I don't, uh, I'm not going to, it's going to be harder for me to get into something when someone's trying to really sell me on it, but when they're just organically expressing their enthusiasm or going into depth about why they like it, that sort of conviction sells me so much more and pulls me in. That's what your stuff does. That's what Brian's did. For yeah, me if you that bullied someone into trying to like it, and they're just they're really yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah, pressing you know, the screw you button is what I call it. Yeah, exactly. It's like those moments when you're like, you haven't seen that movie, oh, you know who? I for me, I'm like, uh, now nah, just despite you, anymore. I'm never gonna watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, always, I always loved when I'm like, if I if I ever if I ever said like, oh, you haven't seen Star, somebody ever said you haven't seen Star Wars, and the person just goes. Uh, uh, no, actually, I, I like having sex. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're gonna go that route. All right. I know. Uh, you know, up. like you're you're uh, a complete plebe if you've seen uh, Star Wars before. Um, yeah. But yeah, to answer your que- to answer your question, Josh, uh, you know when they say like the pilot and Master Chief are gonna know as much as you know, I get what they're doing there, and I really like that. But I'm like, you think Master Chief would like he would know a little bit of what happened, right? Like, why is he floating out in space? Like, I I, I feel like he should know something. Am this I is why uh, in my head I feel it would be more interesting for Five to have ended with Cortana succeeding in escaping with the Kryptom, and then you know the next time we see the Chief is in that debris field. Like, there's huh? there's some kind of battle that's Ooh, happened to reclaim like the that. Chief. 
Unfortunately, that's not the direction they go because we did have to have some kind of win in Halo 5 where we rescue the Chief. But I really feel like that would have been a much more interesting direction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... I never even considered but, that. But could we, have lived five, could we have lived five years with Chief trapped in a crypt? I don't think that's the... <laughs> There's a uh, didact off in the corner like, I lasted 100,000, damn it. See, but, <laughs> plus I would have, for at least, for three to four years, I would have thought that we were going to be playing as Locke exclusively in Halo 6. I just, my heart couldn't handle all that, you know, so... Uh, Alex, how do you feel about that? I mean, are you... Did you? I, I can't. I can't remember. I feel like I've, I've saw. I've read you say that you liked Locke. Yes, very much so. Um, I did a twenty-five thousand word long piece on Halo Nightfall. It's uh, it's a film that I really actually love, and that I really want to similar to Halo Four. Is like here's all the things that I really love about it, and I'm not going to try and change your mind, but I think there's some things that you might have missed out on. Um, and I am currently working on a um, larger piece on Locke himself as well right now. Um, character study from across all the sort of media that he appears in, from the trailers to Nightfall to Halo 5. Um, I am. I'm a big Locke fan. Um, I think that 343 did a really cool job with his character. I feel like there is some potential that's not been hit with him, and I would really like to see them nail that, whether that's yeah. in a book in the future or whether it's in a campaign expansion however it is you know i just i really want to see more of that character more of osiris in general i would I've definitely love... come around to him a lot more over the years i was gonna say i'm i'm very excited to read that too because I, I we were literally just talking before um you got in and brian said he rewatched nightfall recently and i was he was he was telling me about the the I, halo I think what, I what's got... the collection called uh, oh, it's that you know that Blu-ray collection, the Master Chief. Uh, was it yeah. called the Master? I don't know what it's called. It's called the Halo collection remember. of Blu-rays. But, but I want to buy that because I haven't seen Nightfall since 2015. Well, I didn't I think, like it then. I think I left a comment on one of Alex's tweets like six months ago because he post. I, I made a I made a Sacred Icon tweet about Nightfall, and then Alex shared his article on Nightfall, and then I told him I was like, I'm going to read this. Shameless self promotion. <laughs> right, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna read this and then I'm gonna rewatch Nightfall and try to really like it. Um, so far, I did rewatch Nightfall and I, I didn't like it. Still, unfortunately, but I am extremely open minded and I will. Chances are, here's the thing: whenever I don't like something, like I'll tell somebody, I'll be like, I don't like something, and they'll be like, Well, how many times have you watched it? Oh, nine times. <laughs> it's like, oh, you don't like it? Well, like you watch. It's just like Halo Five. Like I always talk about how Halo Five story was so disappointing. I told Josh I just finished like my eighth playthrough of the game, the campaign. It's like, how do you play a game eight times? You you know you don't like the story. Mm. Um, so I will continue because I'm somebody who really wants to like Nightfall. Um, so it's a uh, I don't know it's for me it's less that I think there's anything bad about it, and it's more that I just have trouble uh, being entertained or, or having fun while watching Nightfall, yeah. so. Well, I'll, you know, I'll just take this moment to say that, like, Alex, it's so great that I think you you do that stuff, and I I hope I hope it's something you never stop doing, because I think, for me personally, and I know for Brian too, it's, we're, we're both the same in that when we hear someone completely feel differently about something, it's less for us, like, you're stupid. Like, <laughs> it's more exciting than frustrating. And, and it's more like, okay, well, why didn't, why do you feel that way? Mm. And I think for me, Stuff like that makes me more intrigued and makes me say, okay, I got to take a second look at this because I've had my own feelings about this. If someone else feels completely different, I need to get in that headspace and understand and get out of my own. And I think stuff like what you write about and also just having those different feelings. Like I know, like I said, like I know you love Last Jedi and I, I love it too, but I, I would give more credit to you to say that, you know, for me, it was more of an acquired taste. It took me a little bit of time. 
And to for people like you that, that love that stuff, for me, it's like, okay, why does this person love it? Because I don't. And just kind of thinking less about why I don't like it and focusing more on that, on the enthusiasm there, it helps me kind of get more around that. I'm going to do some self-promotion right now by saying, because uh, I just came to this realization, anybody who ever wants to be on this podcast, you're going to have your ego stroked. So <laughs> if we invite you, please, if you're considering... Just, just come here. We're going to talk about how great you are. So, I see. For me, <laughs> well, like, over the years, I've really sort of Halo Five has been a learning experience as a fan in a lot of ways yes, because yes. you know there there are ways in which you can be let down by something that you know you can just sort of move past whatever, and then there are some things that let you down that this very <laughs> you read them as like a personal kind of attack on you, like well this shouldn't have been bad, should it? Um, and I feel like. You know, we've had five years to actually learn from this experience now and sort of reevaluate what it is as, you know, content creators, which is what we are, how we approach these sort of things. Um, and I am not interested so much in being like, well, this is why I hate this thing. And this is why it's bad. Um, I'm much more interested in looking at the things which people don't like and saying, and if I do like them, then I'm saying, well, you know, this is these are my reasons why I think this is really good. And I feel like there's much more value to be added yes. to the whole, uh, to, the, to the community in that kind of positive, you know, not, not in saying like you should like this or whatever, but in just, no, yeah, you don't hear the positivity from a lot of people because it's just taken for granted. It's given They they yeah, don't I feel the need to explain why, but people will absolutely tell you why they hate something. Exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's so important, like you just said, to to try to to try to pluck out um, the potential positivity. Uh, it's kind of kind of what you're saying, because like, uh, here's one thing I keep noticing is like we had this Halo Infinite reveal, and what I'm seeing is a combination of complete and utter excitement for this game coming later this year, but by the same people with the complete utter excitement, uh, frequent posts of negativity and disappointment in certain aspects of the game. So it's kind of like when we were watching that reveal, how many of us, how many of us just naturally watching that reveal are excited for another Halo, we're excited to play the game we're being shown, but we have a laundry list of things we want to be different. So then we start going down that tunnel of like, oh, I wish this, there's more hair on the brute. I wish this gun looked different. And really, you forget for a moment, I'm really excited for this game. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, and it's like you said, uh, Alex, it's like, you know, maybe I didn't really take the time. I just, my, my first reaction was I didn't like this thing. So I just kind of uh, disregarded it. So I think there's really a, a, a place for people to um, try to articulate in, in non-forceful confrontational words why something was good to them. And I think that's uh, uh, something that's really helped Josh and I's mentality too doing this is when we, we talk to people or we hear things on Twitter from people about things they really liked or didn't like, we start to go, if it's the opposite opinion of ours, we're like, why is that? Why Why does someone think Halo 5 is, is the best story? Why is mm-hmm. that? You know, to some, you know, it's very easy, you know, for to get some quick lulls and some quick likes to go, <laughs> Halo 5's your best story? <laughs> You're an idiot, you know? <laughs> How do you think that? But for me and Josh, it's like, no, that's not stupid at all. That's, that's really interesting that Halo 5's your favorite story. Why is that? And someone says, oh, well... It's got this big ensemble cast of characters, and, and you travel across several planets in the galaxy, and it feels like this big, big story. And I'm like, you know what? That's even if it's not my favorite, like that's really true. Like it does have this really great big ensemble cast, and yeah, and some things tra- work that uh, for for some people that doesn't work for others. Uh, for me, you know, Halo is 
uh, much more that kind of narrower, laser-focused story on just a handful of characters. Uh, Halo 1, Halo 4, you know. But at the same time, I really love Halo 2. And that's got the same kind of approach as Halo 5 in this massive, expansive sort of oh, yeah. galaxy, you know, with uh, the Covenant who speak English now, Shakespearean English, and you've got this whole political stuff going on there. So this is my favorite part of this universe, suddenly. So sure, absolutely, you know. Yeah, Alex, let me uh, kind of continue that and, and pick your brain. Since Brian and, I, Brian and I are more new to the community, for you personally, you know, we're just starting to enter this new era of Halo. What's that like for you, who, someone who's been there for so long and you've had this five-year gap and now you're going into this? And, and, and knowing, I mean, from what they said, there's not a Halo Infinite 2 plan, but this like long cycle. Mm. I mean, how does, what's all this feel like for you personally? Really exciting. Uh, it's, you yeah. know, it feels like something that I want to commit to with what I've already been doing over the last mm -hmm. seven years. Uh, and I, I mean, knowing that there's a bunch of new people is going to be coming into Halo for the first time. And it's like, you know, what can I sort of do to help along, you know, their own sort of passion for the universe and some open their minds up to some of the other stories that are going on and where things might go. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an exciting time. This is the first sort of bout, uh, the next big step of new Halo that we've had in such a long time. And I think even with Halo 5, you know, there wasn't that same sense of it being this massive sort of like leap forward. It was the continuation of Halo 4 is what we thought it would be. Yeah, that's a very good point. Whereas uh, Infinite is this brand new start. Question I have for you then, uh, Alex, is like as, as someone who's been a Halo content creator for, you know, seven years or so, what what have you seen as far as I'm, I'm sure it's pretty obvious when a new Halo game's coming out or there's a new a lot of new hype for Halo you see a lot of new content creators come in, I mean like Josh said we're new I mean we are new but we're also we've also been here almost clo getting close to a year now mm, true um, but you know even us we we came in uh, in the last year so in your past experience do you see a lot of people come in for the hype and then once the hype's over they they leave or do you do you think a lot of the content creators are retained and they kind of stick around what, what's been your experience it's interesting yeah i mean in the past i think uh it has definitely been the latter uh, you know the the hype machine has really sort of like rolled people along it's been like oh yeah this is gonna be really great and then for various reasons, you know, it could be personal reasons that uh, people have just found more interesting stuff to do with other games or um, that, that they didn't like the end product or whatever, then they have moved on. But uh, you look at stuff like Destiny, for example, you know, which has got the same, that same kind of model of being this long-term thing. Uh, and you've got people like Bife, you know, Myelin Games and that people have really committed to that. And I'm sure that there's a bunch of other like, you know, people who are always being funneled into this sort of ecosystem of like, oh, well, I'm really getting into this lore I want to, you know, create for myself. It's like back in the old Halo 3 days where, you know, everyone wanted to make their own machinima and that sort of thing. It's expanding <laughs> that. I was one of those people as well. I have yeah, very I horrible, like 360p v like, footage of a digital camera <laughs> of me like filming a, a warthog driving through Last Resort with some really horrible monologue going over it. <laughs> I need to see that now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never see the light of day. We need, we need, we need a Haruspa's Patreon, and that's a Patreon exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> but what really matters is the tools that Infinite gives the community to create community content, I think. If you open those doors for people, then they will be interested. 
Absolutely. I definitely get that. I mean, I I think I really was, uh, for Halo 5, I was really wanting that. And it just, like, I love the multiplayer. I didn't hate the characters in the campaign. Story just didn't work for me. But for whatever reason, it just didn't kind of, like, stick with me in sort of a long-term way. And I don't want to say, I don't know, I almost feel like saying that this feels like a Halo renaissance for me personally is, like, implying that I've been out of it for a while. But I think it's just, this is just such a new like kind of use it just there's feels like there's so much like there was with five there was the continuation this feels like a huge leap forward mm. like, i don't think i could have i think there's something we myself. should say josh is that i mean you know we we talk about how we've only been in the quote-unquote halo community for the last year i mean josh and i have been in a sense we've been in the halo community since you know near the beginning yeah i just it's just we've never wanna... we've never been a face of anything sure. you know, it's just yeah, been brian exactly. or josh jump into a forum or I read, you know, I was reading Alex's articles in 2012 right. or whatever year. Was that the year you started? Uh, 13. 13. So 13, I was reading his articles, you know. So we've been here the whole time. It's not like we missed out on anything, but it was only till you know, a year ago that we said, hey, we, we think we want to uh, create our own stuff and, and come in here and do that. And, and that's the thing I wanted to say, building off my question about content creation for Alex is like, I just, uh, I, I've seen, I've seen people say more than once since we've been around, I've seen people say, oh, we're getting a lot of new Halo content creators because of Infinite. Let's see how many of them stick around after the hype. And I'm like, you know, I don't really want to look at it that way because I want to look at it yeah. like I want to look at it like what you know. Sometimes people come in and they have something completely new to offer. I mean, look at Alex for instance in 2013. Like, I don't think there was anyone really making a staple and and writing on Halo Four or Halo in general. Not uh, since maybe uh, Ascendant Justice with Jeremy Patnaud and that whole team for Halo Three back in 2007, 2008. Mm. Oh, okay. Then he yeah, went so on I, to work at 343. That's awesome. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. But it, it's just like, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, you know, there was a, sure, like, it, there was a point in time where, you know, the name Haruspis in the Halo community was kind of a newer thing. You know, Sacred Icon Halo, kind of a newer thing. But look at, you know, what Alex has provided and all these new content creators that are going to come in for Infinite. Who knows what they're going to... I mean, yeah, of course, there's going to be some who come in for the hype and then they just trail off and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's yeah, not right. causing anyone any harm. But you're going to get people who, you know, they make their own staple and they bring something new to the to the content creation sphere of Halo and it's awesome. The way I see it is that, you know, if people aren't sticking around, there's probably a reason for that. And, you know, you've got to really interrogate what that is. Like, it, it feels disingenuous to just put it down to, oh, they were just here for the hype. Right. Yeah, true. Yeah, you never know. Somebody maybe they were here and then, you know, they had they had kids and they needed time away or Well, I think that's what excites reasons. me too about this is just knowing that it's going to get you know, uh, additional updates in some way, you know, like I think that really excites me as a player mm-hmm. because I feel like I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure it will take a while for that stuff, but I don't feel like I'm going to have to wait several years now. New drops like and can, stuff is cool to look forward to. Yeah, I feel like I can. Have you ever had trouble? Live in the... I'm sorry, Josh. I didn't go ahead. No, you're right. I was just, I was well, just gonna I was ask Dallas just... if it was hard for him to continue to write new articles with no new content. Oh yeah, no, I want to hear that. Uh, not at all. I've got like 30 books to draw from. I've got yeah, all this like, ridiculous amounts of lore content. And there's so much okay. that I'm in love with in the universe that I have a backlog of stuff to get through, which I will still be getting through when Infinite comes out. So it's a, it's all a matter of like when, and why, and how. And how so the five years of you've you've had plenty of things to write about. Yeah, no issues whatsoever on that front. Love that. Uh, question about that. Actually, I wanted to pick your brain about as someone who's read. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but every book or pretty much every <laughs> yes. book. Um, 
Okay. As someone who's, who loves Star Wars to death, uh, I, I see a sort of polar opposites with this. And with, with Halo, I know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the, the general opinion has been that a lot of these books feel like required reading. Um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate or not. <laughs> I see you shaking your head, Brian. I can't see yours, Alex. I feel like you're like, ah, maybe. <laughs> but, um, but I feel like that's been the general opinion, whether I'm right or wrong on that. But then, you know, with something like Star Wars, a lot of the books in the newer canon aren't as required reading. They're more supplemental. Like, oh, if you want to live in this universe more, here's some cool stuff for you. And I enjoy that. But I know I see a lot of people in the Star Wars community say, well, we want stuff that has more of a sense of gravity to it and, and stuff. And um, I mean, well, I guess what's your, you know, if you feel differently, let me know. But I mean, what's your take on that kind of stuff? Is there, is it just the kind of, is it just people can't, are never going to be happy either which way you do that stuff? I mean, what, you know, is there a bounce to strike with that? Because I'm always curious with that expanded media. Transmedia is tough because you really do have to strike some kind of balance there. You can't have you know the side content be too important uh, that you need it for for the primary experience which in this case would be the game but at the same time if you don't have important stuff going on in there what's the bloody point in having it <laughs> is very is good the, point. the dilemma um there are some some stories which can really enhance in ways that you never expected that they would uh for me speaking of the, of the star wars canon the Phasma novel by Delilah Dawson was That's fantastic. absolutely brilliant. It was like a mix of Halo Primordium with Mad Max. <laughs> didn't, it, didn't it have Hux's father in there? Yes, yeah, he's one of the okay. main characters. I've heard that. that's... It is brilliant. And if you get around to reading it, then uh, I, I'd absolutely recommend it. And, you know, it set up my expectations for Phasma in the films quite a bit because it's like, ah, oh, this, is, this is a character who's effectively framed as the general grievous of the sequel trilogy here and this character who's going to keep rebuilding herself no matter what she loses she's the survivor as really interesting and then of course the films didn't quite you know follow through on that so there is of course there you've got that mismatch between well here's this really really well written piece of expanded media which is not Mm -hmm. reflected necessarily in the quality of uh, of the film and how it uses this tertiary character essentially um yeah with halo yeah, I will absolutely make the case that for Halo 4, uh, those books were not required reading. I think okay. a lot of it you. comes down to the knowledge that that stuff is out there. And because you know it's out there and it's got all this important information, you think it's necessary. And in some respects, I understand that. But it, as a whole, the way in which you sort of take from Halo 4 is that the A story with the didact is bad guy has his motivations for wanting to imprison humanity with this device that turns him into his robotic army that is Halo 4's story in one sentence you know the the A story is all you need to get from it while the B story of course is about Chief and Cortana and that whole sort of like very personal relationship the the context you need from that is what you infer from it essentially and I feel like people should 
I don't, I don't want to sound like sort of mean or anything, but just engage your imaginations no. a bit more <laughs> when yeah. it comes to this stuff. Like you don't have to have the absolute canonical answer from like a book or anything. Like make your own interpretations as people do. Yeah, that, that's do. the appeal of a universe like this is it's porous. You read things into it that maybe necessarily were intended by the creators. And it doesn't always matter if it was or wasn't. Part of being a good law fan is knowing when not to give a shit about the law. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, do you feel like there's sometimes people put too much stock into what is canon and what Absolutely. isn't? Absolutely. You know, whenever I, I hear about the the new type, whatever, like vehicle or whatever, that's a phantom. That's a beam rifle. I don't care. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it, it just, it doesn't matter to me. I feel like there's some areas where people really get so granular with these things that you close so many doors um, for, you know, potential. Yeah, I, I think for yeah for me, I, I mean, I completely agree with Alex. Like when I play Halo Four, I'm like, I, I do know the background material, but I was like, this seems like a pretty straightforward story if you just you know mm -hmm. if you just take it as it is. Yeah. And I've had people, even like my wife, who's who's never beat Halo Four because she's not into Halo in general as much as I've tried, but she's played a few missions of Halo Four and she's like, she gets it. You know, Cortana's an AI. You know, there she's deteriorating. Didact's a back like she understands it. It's not that it's not that hard. Yeah, you for don't me, need to know his entire backstory to, no, to get this character. It's certainly enriching, but you don't need it. Yeah, um, I was gonna say Well, I'll go I ahead, was gonna say I that I was gonna say that like so I feel like Halo four and maybe now five, those are the two most hotly contested, like, oh, you needed the background material, whatever. But for me, and I may change my mind later, but right in this moment, for me what I think was the potentially worst kind of like game lore thing for me was when halo reach came out mm -hmm. and it's not it's not for the reasons people might expect it's not because oh you know you needed to read more books to understand this or whatnot but in my mind so many people had read the fall of reach by the time halo reach came out i mean it wasn't just mm -hmm. your hardest nine years yeah it wasn't just your hardest core halo fans of all that read it, I mean, just a lot of people had read that book, and a lot of people who hadn't read the book had heard from their friends who played the games with them. Yeah, Master Chief, you know, you brought up on Reach and and uh, had these missions with Blue Team and everything. So you, the I just feel like naturally the entire context of of the fall of Reach was well known when Halo Reach came out. So mm. while I do have respect for Bungie being the creators of Halo and them very much saying we created this, we didn't ask for the fall of Reach novel. We want to make Halo Reach the way we want it because it's our damn game and I don't care if it pisses people off. In some regard, I respect that. They did create that. But on the other hand, it's like by the time Reach came out, the fall of Reach had been around for nine years. Yeah, it was the I, foundational I, I, text for the it series. Was, yeah, exactly. It was completely perfect wording. It was completely foundational. So it's so jarring to play Reach. And it to me, now, there's only a few things that, are really big that are off you could argue like you can retrofit things a bit but to me just the whole entire game is just so different from the book it's just hard to it's hard to envision them both existing at the same time yeah you know definitely uh, no, that's really well put actually I, and i appreciate that hearing that too because i think for halo like i'm i'm about 100 pages into krypton right now and i don't feel like i feel like if anything it's just enhancing what's there in halo 4 i don't feel like it's required reading because I think, like, Brian's told me before about Chakas and stuff like that. And I'm like, what? You know, like, it blew my freaking mind. That makes me just enjoy not only Halo 4, but, like, Halo Combat Evolved in this entirely new light. Mm. But I don't feel like I'm being punished by, like, not reading the Maybe it's because to the, to, to the level that it enhances is quite large. I'll, I'll give it that. It's 
It doesn't just enhance oh, yeah. it a little. It enhances it a lot. Mm. Yeah, Alex, do you feel like for people who maybe didn't like Halo 4, but they're completely open-minded to trying to like give it another go, do you feel like them reading the Forerunner trilogy is something that will really help potentially get them like a lot more interested and willing to take a second look at that kind of stuff. Definitely. I mean, it, it depends really on sort of what your area of interest in the, in the lore is, you know, some people might be interested in the sort of the more covenant side. They might get a bit more at the kilo five books. I personally don't, but uh, you never know what people's tastes are. Um, but the foreigner saga, you know, is so directly foundational to three, four, three's vision of halo, not just for halo four, but the, the entire universe that they're creating and the overall theme with the mantle and everything that it is absolutely worth reading into for that background context. Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. What is, what's for you, your favorite Halo book? Silentium. least favorite. Halo Silentium. The third book of the four on the saga. So yeah. good. Which is also okay. where I derive my blog's name from. I love it. Truth uh, what? And oh, feel free. I mean, I, Brian. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that is it only mentioned in in Silentium. Yep, that was the only place. Mm, okay, I thought uh, it was mentioned in one of the other Forerunner novels, but as well. But feel free to completely like not hold anything back because Brian's already told me the broad strokes of these stories. But what is it about that one that does it for you that that has you hold it so high up? It's the combination of sort of everything I've wanted to see of this sort of grand epic tragedy, but that's presented in such an interesting way because you've got something that 343 loves doing in their stories is framing their narratives in the past and the present. You know, you think of like Forward Unto Dawn, it's a flashback for Lasky that's triggered by um, hearing the distress call of the Master Chief and he remembers, um, you know, when he was a kid. Um, you've got Halo 4, which is framed at the beginning with Halsey's sort of narration. You've got all these other stories where, you know, that you've got something that's in the present, which is relevant, and then we sort of cut to the past. And in the Forerunner Saga, it's about, you know, humanity in the present, discovering more about uh, what it is that's gone on. Uh, you know, what, what are the big questions that we, we really need to answer? So it puts you sort of in the story in that sense. And then you've got this really satisfying progression of like, here's what the librarian was up to. Here's what Guilty Spark was doing as, as we see him become, you know, this, this character that we know in the games. Here's what the didact, what happened to the didact. And that in particular in Silentium is, is the central tragedy. It's Anakin Skywalker's fall, right? It's, that's what the equivalent basically is. Oh, he knows man. how to sell it to, to me. You're oh yes, <laughs> I love Anakin. So you're speaking to seeing oh. how the the precursor stuff like starts to come alive with all these esoteric things like the star roads and these things that are like they're so magical uh, in that way that you just you wouldn't see them in the games and you, you wouldn't be satisfied in the way that it comes across in a book. Um, mm -hmm. And Silentium is sort of like Halo sort of turned up to a hundred in terms of that sort of side of the universe that had to be so rewarding for you too because it came out after halo 4 yeah i mean uh it was it was the story i wanted to see like ever since i set foot on that ring in 2001 and i looked up at our eyes i was like oh you know what's the story of the people who made this you know seven-year-old me was thinking that and then all of a sudden in 2013 when i'm you know nearing my 20s i'm like oh I finally get to sort of learn, not not just learn the context of it, but have it be so satisfying for me because it's such a great story as well. It's such a visionary writer yeah. as Greg and Chloe Bear are. Yeah, absolutely. That makes me super excited to get to that because Brian's on the second 
What's the second one again? Well, this is my second read through. Primordium's the one I'm on right Primordium. now. I have a hard time getting through Primordium. I have to admit, it's just so dry in the beginning. <laughs> but it's it's, uh, it's a caveman's view of a halo ring, essentially. That's a good way of putting it. Mm. Huh. Uh, what's what's your least favorite and why? Oh, it's going to be one of the Kilo Five books. Yeah, I have a is- real hard time with um, all things Karen Travis. The- yeah, I was just going to say, that's why Karen Travis, right? Yeah. Um, I understand that she's got her own fan base, and that's awesome. You know, there's a lot of people who really love Kilo 5, and I have absolutely nothing against people who uh, who derive enjoyment from that. There's a lot of people at 343 who really enjoy the Kilo 5 books. Um, but for me, it's just so tonally cynical about Halo, and it feels like so many things that have been built up are really stretched beyond the point of recognition to bring about this kind of accountability, um, you know, for Halsey and everything that I feel like we, uh, we go a bit too far into these realms of like, well, it's not realistic for these characters to behave like this. I know that's kind of subjective, but it just, it's such a shift. I understand from from what we'd had before but not in a way that feels natural it feels like the author is projecting very much her own uh, her own take on the universe in a very direct way the narration itself feels like she is talking it doesn't feel like i'm reading a narration it feels like i'm reading her commentary if you were if you were going to have greg bear come back to write one more novel and just one alone what would you (laughs) want to write it over oh i mean more of his side of the universe so ancient humans and sanshayum and all that i feel that there's so much more to that story which we've got to explore that i would love to see him do uh do a take on i remember telling josh back in 2014 was it i think 14 when we were first talking about I was first all trying those to, years ago i was first trying to get you into halo 4 i was like dude i really want them to create a bioware level rpg where i get mm. to play as a forerunner set during greg bear's novels yes i think a lot of us who've read those books have, uh, have had that same hope Oh, it'd be incredible. It'd be great. Be, I mean, if it had the Halo name on it, you know, there'd be a lot of mainstream people who are going, what the hell is this? But I would love it. So, Speaking of San Chayun, though, Brian Apolygon today posted a video talking about his read-through of all the Halo yes. books. And in context of this, he mentions how they used to look hot, and now they kind of don't. You will, you'll <laughs> learn more about that in Cryptum, actually. That'll, that's coming Okay, up. good. <laughs> Good, because they mentioned the Shen, uh, Shen Shaiyun, uh, a couple times, uh, but uh, you know one of the things the the points he made in that video uh, was that he kind of got to a point where he's got so much knowledge through reading all this stuff and and so much enthusiasm, like it you could tell he really came out of it loving that stuff more than he initially thought yes. going in. But he's at a point where it's like. There's so much there, and he's trying to unload that on people and talk to them, but they're just not able. They're not wanting to ingest mm-hmm. it, and also just he kind of kind of makes them feel a little bit alone in that. Have you ever had a point where you just you, you having read all this stuff, where it was really hard uh, to to find that in the community, or has that always been something that's been easy to connect with other people on? Yeah, you know, when I was much younger, back when Halo Three was you know all the rage, uh, mm-hmm. nobody at school really cared for halo and i i was so like very much on my own it's like everyone else is off playing call of duty in the modern military sort of first person shooter and i'm just there like halo (laughs) it's one one of those things where i i always respect people's opinions and i I don't think that 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 i have more validity than they do but never did i ever feel 
Call of Duty was that enjoyable of an experience at any point in my life. It's just my own preference. So it's just just the fact that that's what quote unquote took down Halo just will always boggle my mind. It's just <laughs> that, so uninteresting to me. You know, I always chalk it up to just as someone who's played a little bit of it myself. I think it's less to do. I think I think some of the stories are quite good. Mm. But I think it's less to do with the narratives and more just the accessibility of the multiplayer. Yes, yeah, I, I felt this memory in my mind when Modern Warfare Two was coming out, and I was in uh, I was in a classroom, and some friends were talking about it. Well, some people who I knew, and um, he said to me, like, you know, oh, what uh, what map are you hoping to play on first? Cause I think they'd announced the maps. Uh, so oh, actually, I'm going to be playing the campaign first of Modern Warfare 2. I'm excited for that. He just looked at me like I was some fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, campaign? Yeah, oh, like you never heard of that. See, that. That's like that. In these moments, I'm like, Haruspus is my spirit animal. Because I'm like, there's so many times at school where I'm like, oh, but do you, you remember when the you know the forerunners when they blah 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 blah, and then they'll be like, dude, I only play it for the multiplayer. Who gives a shit about that? I'm like. <laughs> You're hurting my soul, man. Like, if there was no story and lore, I wouldn't care about the series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I actually love listening to Brian when he's talked about that stuff before. Because as someone who likes the multiplayer, I always say, I always try to to say that I love the multiplayer because of the campaign. Uh, because it enhances it for me, having played through the stories. I love that the maps will feel lived in. Like, they're part of this universe, Absolutely. not segregated. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Even though I'm more on the multiplayer side, like I love the campaigns, and I, I think if I didn't, if they were just, if there was ever a Halo that didn't have a campaign but it had multiplayer, I'm sure I'd try it, but I just don't think I could really gel with it because I, I need it. I need their. I need to be thinking like, was Master Chief running through this map on Sanctuary? <laughs> you know, was he like, oh, what would he have thought of Valhalla? You know, I just, I, for some reason, I love feeling the the, the death of that. Well, again, that gets back to that point we were discussing earlier, where there's so much imagination in Halo, and you know, knowing yes. the canon of it is not essential because when you're in these spaces, even in these multiplayer spaces, you're making your own stories up as you go. That's where the root of Machinima, I think, really came from: is seeing these spaces like Valhalla. What's the story of the Crash Pelican there? Well, yeah. yeah, let's let's be honest. Uh, Josh and I have said many times because, of course, we were we were all much younger during during the Bungie Halo games. Josh and I didn't didn't know large swaths of what was even happening in the first three Halo games. Like mm. a lot of it just kind of went over our head. I remember for at least a solid year after Halo Three uh, came out, I thought that the ring we were on at the end of Halo Three was literally the same ring from Halo One. Like I just yeah, thought I that for a year. I didn't understand and, and, the plots at all. My friends didn't. They were fun. My friends not only did they not know that either, they just didn't even care. And then when I found out, I'm like, no, this is a replacement ring, you know, that's being built on the arc. Like, oh, it's not the little same ring. And then there's just so many things I didn't get, you know, with like the Arbiter being a title that's been given over the years, and this is the mm. mausoleum of past Arbiter. Like things when you're like, because I was playing Halo Two when I was like you know, I don't know, 10 or 11. Like, it just kind of went over my head. And it, it, all that mattered was badass Spartan, badass animal, uh, aliens, and a bunch of guns. Like, that was cool, you know? So, like you said, I think imagination, that's something with Halo. You don't really need to know the canon to have a great time. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, just a couple of questions left, and then we'll we'll get out of here. But, uh, Brian, I want to ask you first, but I, would, I do want to hear your answer also, Alex. But with... In regards to infinite, he really cares about what I have to say more this time, Alex. Thank you. Continue, Josh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Smart. I'll just go. I love this, it. I love this, it. This must be what it feels like to be Alex. Brian. Okay, go ahead. Brian. Go ahead, Josh. You, you being someone who just loves to consume the stories of these games, 
and not just Halo, but just in general. Like, like you know, you played The Witcher. You said you didn't even mess with the side quest. You went straight for the main story. Is there is there potential for both of you guys when you're having your first playthrough of this that you're gonna maybe? I'm, obviously, I think we're all gonna dabble in some of the side stuff and see what's there. But do you think there's ever gonna be a point where you're just like, okay, this is cool, but I'll do this when I replay through because I really just want to focus on the story, hone in, and really get to the end and see what this is about. I am the kind of person who so desperately wants to know every story beat as quick as possible. So I think there'll only be one caveat. So I think if I have a day off of work, I'm probably just a day to play that game the day it comes out. I'm probably going to rush to the story because I just got to know. I just got to know. (laughs) If I got like a week or five days where I can, I know that I'm going to be able to finish that story without having to have other responsibilities in life. I think I will try to complete the things around there. I mean, there's some level of which like the things have to be fun for me to want to do side things. But if, if it's generally just typical halo 30 seconds of fun, you know, go here, kill these enemies, go here, kill that enemy. Like, you know, get in this vehicle. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that, you know, let's let's not downplay the excitement here. A potential, a partially open world, that has that consistent flow of Halo gameplay, that's so fun. Like, that's going to be a blast. You don't really have to give me that good a reason. Like, if i got to traverse all the way across this giant landscape and it leads me to having a bunch of encounters with brutes and elites and vehicles, you know, and different weapons, like, bring it on. I'm going to love that. So Yeah, what do you think, Alex? So, for me, let me respond to this with a different example. Uh, Mass Effect 1. Uh, Every time I replay that game which is often it's in the 20s the the number of times since 2007 that i played that game wow um i do every boring horrific side quest in that game (laughs) all (laughs) those copied and pasted areas not once will i put those aside and say nope not for me i'm just going to move on i have to do them it doesn't matter when i do them i do them in in the playthrough so for me like it, it's not really a question of quality i'll still critique it as to whether it's good or bad and for, for me but i will do it <laughs> i will slog through maybe this is why i haven't finished a game in so long but uh i, I will go through everything that this story has to offer i understand that oh yeah i'm the i'm the same way brian i'll tell you i'm the same way for better or for worse yeah. i mean to to my fault of my own because it took me like three years playing the wisher three it literally took three years to be i'm still yeah. yeah it's five years for me i've not finished the second expansion yet <laughs> oh blood and wine did you like hearts of stone i did i, I loved, loved it. every moment with uh, yes i thought it was fantastic um no I'm, I'm the same way i think i i think there's definitely going to be a, a part of me that wants to do it like you brian because i'm just like man i've i I've, I've, i just never know i felt... wouldn't get things played i wouldn't get things done if i didn't just skip things no i get that but i think even for this specifically i think this is a case of like it's been so long i'm so hungry to live in that world again but i think i like i want to consume it you know faster than i want to live in it because i know i'm going to be going back and playing it but i i think ultimately i'm just like like you mentioned the pelican earlier alex and i'm thinking like that those little moments in the gameplay reveal were what grabbed me more because i'm like what's over there like when he saw that, he he let you see it, but then he goes left, you know, and stuff like that. I'm like, what's over to the right, you know? And it it gets my curiosity churning of what's around the other corner, and I I love that in video games. I when you have that for me, that sense of curiosity that's that's fostered, you have me. 
and uh, I'll go through every nook and cranny. I did the same thing with Mass Effect 1. I played every single side quest, mm. and I wanted Elcor Hamlet. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I get that completely. But, uh, okay, you've met a couple people from 343 before, and I, Brian and I have yet to do that, and I just think that's that's something that's just a dream. And I've always been curious for people who have been in that position. What was that like? Were you nervous? Because I can be someone that can get super nervous. And I was like, what, what, what was that like for you? The strange thing is you've grown up watching a lot of these people in Vidocs, documentaries, interviews and that, that, uh, you know, yeah. you do sort of like for momentarily, you, you don't quite believe it when you see it. These are real people. These are human beings mm-hmm. that you're talking to. But uh, that dissipates instantly because um, I got to speak to uh, Jeff, of course, Grim, um, Brian, I got to speak to uh, Sam, Snickerdoodle, uh, Sparf, you know, lead artist, uh, yeah. Kiki Wolfkill, Jeremy Pattonald, a bunch of you know, awesome people working at 343. They are just a really warm, passionate, inviting, fun bunch. And you know, you're all talking about the same thing that you love, which is Halo, of course. Yeah. So they're... It's just like talking to any other fan, really. It's been really awesome getting to, you know, when I went to go visit in 2018, just, it, it was everything, you know, you'd sort of dreamed of in all those sort of like pipe dreams that uh, that you imagine. Like meeting your heroes, but it going really, really well. Yes, that, definitely. That's something that you just said that I think would be, it would probably mean, it would mean more if, if you concurred with this now, Alex, is that um, 343, they're, they're fans of Halo, yeah, and 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 a, a large, large majority of those people weren't there during Bungie's uh, tenure. I'm correct in saying that, right, Alex? Yeah, a lot of them weren't, but uh, you know, more, more people I think know. You know, they were. They maybe weren't involved with Bungie, but they were definitely involved on the Microsoft side of things with mm-hmm. uh, the other sort of yeah. publishing stuff going on there. Yeah, so I think it's just so like every time, you know, we we, we can be so critical as fans. It's like. These are fans uh, of Halo. They, they they came together after this IP was left with Microsoft and Bungie went away. These are fans trying to build a game. Not only do they want you know the same things that we want for the game, but it's just like even if any one of us were hired to work at three four three, your one opinion would not be enough to do ev- to get your way on everything. You know exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a collaborative it's a team effort. effort. Yeah, and the team is massive. It's three hundred people plus. That's insane. Across so many teams who all have their different sort of areas of expertise and that. It's like, you know, you can't privilege one thing above the other because production is a chaotic environment. Calls have to be made on the fly. Things will change. And, you know, the thing about having a vision is that you have to accept that you're going to be cutting away bits and pieces of it over the next three to five years while you make this thing that you hope everybody loves. Just, just imagine if somebody, there's a fan of Alex. They go, you know, if, if man, if just they could get, if three four three would just hire Haruspis, we would get a lot more like forerunner, like reclaimer stuff, okay? And then, and then like a couple months later, you know, three four three hires Alex on, you know, Haruspis onto the team, and then that person goes, okay, here we go. I'm going to get to see a lot more lore about the the Prometheans and then the forerunners. And then three four years later, a game comes out, and there's none of it to be seen, and then they go. 
Alex, you screwed it up, man. You had your chance. You ruined it, bro. I, I counted on you. It's like, Alex, it doesn't have... You were the chosen one. You don't have full control to make... You can't force all the things you want in as one member of a team of 300 plus. Just, exactly. That's just not how it works. It's, what, what can you get these people excited about is, you know, to build those foundational pillars if this is the thing we're going to make? And, you know, that's the thing with Halo Infinite is that they've really sort of come together after Halo 5 and, you know, knuckled down, consolidated what is it about Halo that we can take forward, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and Brian and I have talked about this before, but it makes me, in retrospect, it makes me so happy that we didn't hear anything about it for so long because mm. I think, I can't imagine, I won't pretend to know what it's like, but I just can't, I gotta imagine it had to been tough coming off of halo five mm. with the reception it got and they probably you know they had so many plans about what they wanted to do and we don't know what got changed and what didn't but that had to have been emotionally tough on them Absolutely. and just to know that they've spent so much time working on this game and then finally showing off and, and with confidence too and I, I mean that just that makes me all the more excited too when i've gotten to interact i haven't met any of them in person but when i've got to interact with some of them via social media i mean it humanizes them and i love that they're out there and they interact because it like helps me all the more you know remember and i would want it for other people too to remember these are people these are fans making a game i can honestly sit here and say like if they came up to me and said josh we're going to make your dream halo game i don't even know what that is but like if they made it I'm sure there are things that I would come away and say, I don't like this or I don't like that. that. So I just want them. Yeah, I would just rather they make the game they're wanting to make and show it when they're ready and let me just take it in and, and ingest it. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool how this is a little bit on a different topic, but it's really cool how as a like a content creator for Halo, you you kind of you kind of preach your own your own word for so long and then a game comes out and you have to decide if you're if you're going to stick to what you've been preaching and for instance you know for Alex it might be you know Alex has wrote all these articles about you know why the banished to be a good a good enemy or you know why infinite seems to be building off of you know Halo 4 it's kind of the opposite side you know putting the armor back on after taking mm -hmm. it off like so Alex yes. writes all these articles prior to infinite being announced and released and coming out you know people are going to look at his work and say, you know, did he stick to his principles or ideals that he had prior to the game coming out? And that's kind of what Josh and I are experiencing for our very first time is like Josh and I spent all these months podcasting and posting about um, looking at the good, looking at the positive, uh, you know, not being so, um, I don't know, not, not being so hateful in our opinions of Halo and stuff. So it's wow. like yeah. when we saw Infinite's gameplay come out, despite anticipating that for me at least personally i think probably for josh too it was kind of a shock to the system because suddenly you saw this community that was more or less the same for the the last nine months then the reveal happened and you see a, of course you see a lot of great people great positivity but you see a lot of hateful things said a lot of negative things yeah and it's like now it's josh and i's time to preach what we've been saying like okay we're gonna look at the positives we're gonna speak in the positives. we're gonna be um constructive and uh, it's so easy to I don't know if you've ex have you experienced it before, Alex, where it's like once something you see that kind of big ch cultural change in the Halo fandom, it's like you got to have some restraint to to continue to to just soldier on and do what you set out to do. Does that Definitely, make sense? yeah. You know, you you never you can never predict how people are going to react. You know, things that uh, people are positive about for the first week can suddenly shift all of a sudden to something else the next. Oh, yeah. so we saw that with Breakout, for example, in Warzone. Um, 
with how those sort of changed over time when they were sort of coming out and like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. Oh, I hate this. This is the worst. um i feel like uh with how i've been over the last you know couple of years i feel like i have maintained my consistency with everything i've said about halo 5 and what's evolved is how i've talked about it you know what i always keep asking myself you know what did i learn from from that period from how i came across from how i seemed um great question exactly and you know that sort of self-interrogation is what's necessary to be good at what you do Mm-hmm. Um, not to make such lofty claims about myself, of course, but uh, that kind of self-interrogation no, is yeah. is necessary. And if I were to, you know, fall back into the same patterns of how I responded to Halo Five, which you know I felt in a very personal way, you know, disappointed in in some of the directions that it went and some of the things I had to say, then I would have learned nothing. Well, to to make you, I don't know if this will make you feel any better. Um, I'm sure you've been through it all, but uh, lucky for. For me, I didn't have a, a platform in the Halo community when Halo 5 came out <laughs> because Josh and Justin, another friend of ours who's, who's been on the podcast once or twice, they could speak to you with the kind of things I said the day mm. I played Halo 5 story and finished it. I was very, very unhappy. Yes. And I'm glad I did not have a, a Haruspis-level platform to say things because I would have been disappointed in myself yeah. years later. So for every person, so for, for how you have to bear that on your sleeve and, and have that publicly out there, there's a million people that can that had to do, that did the same thing. They just don't have to show it, yeah. you know? So we all go. It's a bit that. different, but I had that with MCC, so I remember being. Oh yeah, Josh not being able to play multiplayer. It was a dirty, <laughs> very dirty look on his face. I know, yeah, yeah, Alex, I I went over. I remember going over to Brian's house. We've told this story a couple times. But I went over to Brian's house because the multiplayer wasn't working. And I'm like, dude, I'm just like, I'm, my vibe is off. I'm like, can I come over and hang out? And he's like, yeah, man. And we're gonna start playing Combat Evolved all the way through. We get to right before you're about to get on the pelican at the very end. The long, the long kicks sword. me from the... Long sword. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Or is it broadsword? Yeah, the longsword or broadsword? At the end of Halo 1. Sorry. Longsword. Longsword. Okay. okay. The longsword, yeah. Thank you. Uh, right as I'm about to get on that, it kicks me from the game. I see Brian. I look over on his screen. He goes into the cutscene, gets the achievement for completing the level, beating the game, uh, and I sit there. And what does Brian do? Brian starts laughing his <laughs> ass off because he just sees me completely defeated in disgust. Because it's that like game. he had one point of positivity left. It was just a thread he was hanging by <laughs> at the very end of the game. It's gone. He, him, he, he doesn't get the achievement, and I just go. <laughs> Just like, and he looks at me like he wants to punch me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. But, oh, man. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen back to what we said, though. I, I feel like I've seen that with Star Wars before where it's like I know that when I regardless of what I feel when something new comes out for for it, it's going to be a mixed bag. You're going to have the people that really love it. The people that really hate it. I was kind of prepared for that with this. But still, it's just it's always. It's always annoying when people deal in absolute. Well, we, we made a, another Star Wars reference. We made a tweet on Sacred Icon the day before the reveal of Halo Infinite, where it was a really kindly worded thing, basically saying like, "Tomorrow there will be things people dislike. Mm-hmm. It's the nature of the beast. Just let's let's all try let's let's try to be respectful, even if we don't like the things." And then the next day, it was all out war. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's just it's a matter of the proper headspace with that because the expectations just get in the way so much. Mm-hmm. And if you're just willing to just be excited about a Halo period, you're gonna have a good time. I think. 
It's sort of like really deciding what hills you're going to die on. And I think the best way to do that is deciding to die on very few hills uh, as opposed to sort of like a lot more of them. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Uh, Alex, is there potential? Brian's favorite Halo's two. Mine's three. Yours is four. Is there any potential chance this could be your favorite? That this could top four? Certainly, you know, that's what you hope for. Not maybe, I don't know. Four is such a personal kind of victory for me that I don't mm-hmm. think Infinite will be in the same way. Um, so it's it's hard to say, of course. But uh, I think Infinite could definitely be up there. I think Halo 4 will always remain that sort of special favorite of mine that can't quite be toppled. But I do expect that there will be ways that Infinite will absolutely surpass it in, in you know, certain aspects. Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that. Because I know for Brian, it's just not. Yeah, I mean, I just said, I, I just know, you know, I know how nostalgia works and I know how, you know, things, things that are special to me work. And Halo Infinite could never beat Halo 2 for me, but that's not because it couldn't be a better game. It's just because... I have such an emotional attachment to that game mm. that it's just always going to be my favorite. It doesn't yeah. matter how infinite could be the best game ever made. It wouldn't matter. So I get that. Nostalgia <laughs> seeped into me for so long with those older games. I mean, Halo, Halo 2 was the first, like my favorite game before Halo 2 was, was Zelda Ocarina of Time. And Zelda, Zelda's obviously an amazing game, but it's very much, you know, save the princess, take down the bad guy. Yeah. When I first played Halo 2, because I started with Halo 2, which I think I told, Haruspis, told Alex on the past episode, but I first played Halo 2 and immediately get dropped into, you know, uh, Chief getting his, his armor, you know, Arbiter getting tortured, sentenced to, you know, um, and getting like, uh, seeing the juxtaposition of like Chief getting his medal and Miranda getting a medal and then, you know, uh, <laughs> the Arbiter being uh, disgraced. Um, to me, bad day. To, bad day. To, bad to, day. To, me, to me, as an 11 year old playing Halo 2, it was out of this world for what kind of story could be told in gaming. And that's not to say that Halo 2 or Halo 1 was the first game to ever tell a story that good. But for me and the kind of games I'd played before, when I played Halo 2, it was like I didn't know that a game could, could get to me on this lo- like such yeah. a deep level. Like the, the storytelling, the characters, it just it blew. It blew it, it, I, always, I always compare it to when people had their parents take them to see the 1977 Star Wars film. And it was just like, wow, I didn't know this type of thing could exist. That's what Halo 2 was for me. Mm. Speaking to me, Brian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, last question I have for, for both of you guys, but I, I would like to hear your uh, answer first, Alex. It's kind of kind of one of the same, but... Uh, he prefers you again. What, <laughs> what, is, what does experiencing Halo mean for you? And also, like... What what makes you love it so much? Like why are, why are you as a fan? Why are you still here in 2020? Uh, I always love hearing people's thoughts about this kind of stuff. Like, what are what are you getting out it's of? It's an it? interesting question because there's plenty of things I've liked over the years. You know, growing up where I've sort of moved on from them and uh, don't give them much of a second thought. But Halo has been in my life longer than it hasn't at this point. Yeah, it's been a constant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going on what 26 now, and I was seven years old when it first released, so that's almost 20, it's almost 20 years. Yeah, yeah. What a, it's hard to nail it down to just you know, a, yeah, you don't have to give a definitive answer. It, it's the story, that whole atmosphere of this universe where it's so expansive, all these things matter, there's all these characters and stories which are so interesting to dive into that a lot of other universes just don't have in in, in quite this way. 
you know, a lot have tried and a lot have failed. Uh, again, to go back to Mass Effect, you know, that also wanted to launch as a sort of multimedia kind of platform, but uh, I don't think it's seen quite the same success in that in that fashion. Yeah, um, definitely. I very much would have loved it to, but, uh, you know, when Me you too. compare the two, it, it's, it's very different. Um, of course, there's the multiplayer as well. I've always loved playing that. It's always good fun to jump in. It's one of those games I can just, you know, sit down and get a comfortable sort of like fun time on top of all this deep story stuff, which I can, you know, sit down and read 30 books and half a dozen comics and everything. And I just get so much out of all that, which I just don't feel with a lot of other stuff. So it's so baked into who I am and how I sort of like, how I see stories, storytelling and everything that I just don't see myself ever moving past it. Oh, I love hearing that. That's a great answer. What about you, uh, Brian? Cause I don't think I've ever really asked you that kind of question. Well, it's a much, I mean, it's just, it's a short, simple answer for me. It's just the storytelling. I mean, that's, that's really, um, you know, I love, I love Halo multiplayer and I love forge and all those different things. But if a Halo game came out, Without a story, I I don't even know if I'd buy it unless it was for this podcast. Um, I it's it's, it's it's always and it's not just Halo. It's just storytelling is what resonates with me the most. Earlier this year, at the age of twenty seven, I played Final Fantasy seven for the first time. I played the remake, but I played the original as well, mm. and mm-hmm. that is now one of my favorite games of all time. Final Fantasy seven. The story and the characters of that game that. was so amazing. That I just—it was one of those things when when you play a good story or you read a good story, watch a good story, you think about it night and day. You fall asleep thinking about it sometimes. You daydream about it. <laughs> You—and that's what it was for Final Fantasy VII. I was just—I was thinking about those characters. I was thinking about that world, and I, I just—I don't know. Like a good story just blows my mind, and I, I think, you know, you don't expect that as much with first-person shooters. Like I know there's other mm. first-person shooters with good story. But I, I, it's kind of crazy how rich the universe of Halo is being a first-person shooter and also being a game that's very much been, at least in the past, attributed to a dude bro type of game. Like, you know, yeah. the dude bros play Halo, but it's so much deeper than that. Um, and, and even like one person that comes to mind that, you know, we've had on the show before, uh, Kirsty Shipley, she played, grew up playing like uh, Spyro and Crash and Tomb Raider. Uh, the classics. Yeah, the classics. Yeah. And she came home one day and she saw her husband playing Halo 4. And she had no interest in ever playing a first-person shooter game, but she saw a cutscene between Cortana and Master Chief in Halo 4, and she asked him, started asking her husband a bunch of questions about it. And he was like, you know, if you're going to ask me this many questions, you know, why don't you try playing the game? <laughs> and she didn't think she could like first-person shooters, first-person shooters, and she said she started playing it, and she did the typical kind of thing that new first-person shooter players do. She kind of looked at the floor, looked at the ceiling, ran into a wall. <laughs> and then, But she kept persevering because that story and those characters were so endearing to her. And now it's her favorite game of all time. She Halo became 4. a super soldier. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, to me, some, you know, to, to have a first-person shooter, you know, it's a franchise, it's a type, it's a genre that a lot of people don't care about. Or, or storytellers don't gravitate towards first-person shooters as much as other genres. But to have someone like her, um, that's her favorite game of all time. And you see her constantly posting art and constantly being spotlighted and things like that. It just yeah. goes to show that uh, Deservedly how, so. how great that universe is. And I guess one last thing I'll, I'll say to that is, you know, I just touched, touched on how you know Halo's been seen as like a dude bro thing as well. Well, that's something else that's so great about Halo is it appeals to so many different people. You look at someone like Alex 
who is way, way deep down that narrative hole that Halo has. Yeah. But then you have someone else who's just like, I want to grab my Mountain Dew, my Doritos, and slay noobs. <laughs> slay noobs online. Like, that's all they want. Like, they don't give a shit if Master Chief is... You know, a woman, a man, gray, black, brown, if he's a, you know, it doesn't matter what he is. They just are what anything that happened to the story. They just want to get online and shoot people. And I remember talking to people back in the Halo 2 days who like hadn't even played it, the story, but they would play the multiplayer because all their friends were playing mm-hmm. it and they would be very high up in the ranks. And I'm, I would hear that. And I'm like, huh? Like how? Because even though I'm thinking like how much I love the multiplayer, but like I enjoy it because I enjoy the campaigns. So it's it's sort of an addition. It, it's they're they're compatible. You got and forgers too. Together. People who just like to oh, forge. Absolutely. They don't even care about playing the rest. Well, that's or I've even met. I think I said something about this on Sacred Icon a couple of days ago. I met a couple of people that they've only played Halo Wars, and they love Halo. Yeah, which is crazy. But isn't that what's great about it though? I mean, it, it might sound corny, but like it's got something for everybody. Yeah. There are I mean, people especially who just with Halo the books 3. as well. There's a very loyal yep. contingent of sci-fi readers who gravitate towards those yeah. books and will never play the games. Yeah. Yep, I actually knew somebody uh, who read all the Gears books but had never played the games, and I just thought that was so intriguing because he loved them, mm. but he just he didn't own a, a 360 and had never played them. And I thought that's just that's so cool. It's like a weird it, like to me, it seems like a backwards way of experiencing it, but like it just goes to show you that that stuff can be just as accessible. You don't have mm. to. It's another another reason you know. for us to touch on the whole like you don't have to have any certain merits to be a Halo fan. Like, Absolutely. You can be a Halo fan with just as much, like you may not have as much knowledge as Alex or I or Josh, but you have just as much credit and validity as a fan because you read the novels and never played the games. Yeah, so. just as much a fan as me as anybody else. I always felt the same thing with Star Wars. If someone says they only watched Rogue One and loved it, I'm like, that's awesome. Let's talk about yeah. it because I just I don't care that they didn't see these other films or hated everything else. You know, I just yeah, man, yeah. This has been a long, long podcast. Super long. This has. It's been very entertaining, and I know a lot of the lore people are going to see Haruspa's name on the episode and be like, I'm going to tune into that one right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and, it means a lot, Alex, to do and this. And Late Night. Uh, we don't want to forget Late Night was here. <laughs> no, absolutely. It, it means a lot that I got to, to, to get to talk with both of you. Um, I didn't get to last but I know. Time. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get to. But uh, I, I've, I've heard so many good things about you. I've read some of your articles, and there's some of them I've stayed away from because I'm like, I want to read them. So I'm like, I'm going to, I plan on reading those at length. Uh, Let's not forget, despite you not being on the episode, you're the one that coined the term Bob Ross of Halo. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, uh, very, very relaxed this entire time. I've had a great time. Awesome. Because of that. Same here. But, but no, it, it means, it, it definitely means a lot because you've, you've been, you, you have, I think, Honestly, great opinions, and I know that's a subjective way of putting that kind of thing. Not everyone would agree. Yeah, I know. Well, even even if there's times I haven't necessarily agreed with something, for me personally, that's one of those examples of where I take a look, a step back, and I think, okay, why? You know, if he likes this this much, like Last Jedi, and I thought, you know, I just want to, I want to get more in that headspace. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you write about this stuff, I think, helps so much for those people who are or are trying to understand that stuff more. And I just, I love that you do that, man. And I think. This, I mean, what I've got to experience of the community, I think, would just be completely different if it wasn't for your presence and commitment over the I years. I very much appreciate that. Absolutely. Alex, do you want to throw out your um, where to go to read your articles and stuff like that? Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, coming up next, <laughs> we've got uh, why Installation 07 is the perfect setting for Halo Infinite. So That's what you're, you're working on right now? 
yeah, if you're interested in learning more about the history of that particular halo ring, and believe me, there is a lot, um, then definitely check that one out. Is it is it ruspus.blog? Is that? It or? is. Okay, I thought so. Great. And then he's just... Ryan's got that down. Well, I mean, I'm always going to his stuff right through his Twitter profile, so I don't actually mm-hmm. type in his address. Um, and obviously, Haruspis on Twitter, that's also his handle. Um, but I'm sure most people listening, if not all, have already know about Haruspis. But if you haven't, check it out. Be prepared to get a drink and some snacks. If you haven't, what are you doing? Get a snack and get a drink because you're going to yeah. be reading for a while because uh, <laughs> he doesn't write short articles. What's the shortest article you ever wrote on there? Oh, gosh. It, it would still be in the thousands of words, I think. Yeah. There you have it. So I love that. Uh, I love that though. But yeah, so guys, we really, uh, yeah, we really enjoyed having uh, late night gaming on earlier this episode. Uh, enjoyed having. Uh, yeah, shout out to to, to Rod. Too bad he was only I, here I for a half hour, but uh, it was fun while it yeah. lasted. Um, yeah, enjoyed having you, Haruspis. Um Guys, uh, we will see you on the next episode. Uh, this is Brian. That's Josh. And peace, guys. Keep it sacred. <laughs>